0: Welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and me, Petros Patsyllibus. This is episode 22, where we are stepping back into a beloved franchise. You've already seen the show title. Of course, it is Rocky Free. And to join me for this bout is a return guest and very much a firm favourite friend of the podcast, Liam H. Dempsey, who you may remember from my episodes on The Trust, last year's Christmas special, and arguably the uh, Nicolas Cage Nadir, Bangkok (laughs) Dangerous. But of course, yeah, as I said, we're here to speak about Rocky Free, and we really do get into it. We go blow by blow for this film. And take that as your spoiler warning, because we do talk about it all. So if you, uh, we, we talk about things you never even knew were going on in this film. And Liam has a very spicy, the spiciest of hot takes on this one. So you're really, really going to want to listen. Um, it's made it one of my favorite episodes. The The, the podcast almost has this meta- Kind of narrative to the episode itself, and there's a third act twist that will blow your goddamn mind. If you haven't seen this film with Amazon uh, buying MGM, I believe that all of the Rocky films are currently on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure if that is worldwide, but it's definitely for sure in the UK. So with all of that out of the way, all that's left to do is to lace up your gloves and step in the ring for round three as we make some Copula connections. Ding, ding. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I just wanted to let you know that the Prince Charles Cinema, the cinema that this podcast is tangentially linked to through the links through the... Pod Charles Cinecast and obviously the breadcrumbs collective. I've currently got tickets on sale for Rocky versus Drago, the ultimate director's cut of Rocky 4. They go on sale. Well, they're on sale now when this episode is out, and they will be screening it from the 19th to the 25th of november so be sure to grab a ticket and oh let's see what he's done with getting rid of that robot baby what's paulie gonna do in that movie i guess we're gonna have to find out and make sure you head on over to the prince charles to get your ticket which is princecharlescinema.com baby This week, we step back into the ring for round three of our ongoing coverage of the Rocky saga on this podcast. Of course, it's the Sylvester Stallone written and directed third outing of Philadelphia's hometown hero. That is, of course, Rocky 3, released in 1982, starring Sylvester Stallone, Burgess Meredith, Carl Weathers, Mr. T, Burt Young, and today's Coppola connection, Talia Shire. To join me in my corner for this time and take it back to basics to see if this film has got the eye of the tiger is Spocklight podcast host, Sylvester Stallone fan, and dear friend of this here podcast, Liam H. Dempsey. Liam, have you got the eye of the tiger?
1: Patreon. Yes.
0: How are you, Liam? It's it's good to have you back.
1: I'm amazing, mate. Mate, I'm here to chat about Rocky. I could not be better.
0: Well, before we get into Rocky, um, I must ask you what, like, what? When did you first become aware of the Coppola family as this kind of weird, tendril-like mass of a family? Like, w- whether it was a certain person or when they were this whole collective of people, and when, when did those pieces fall in for you?
1: Well... I mean, Francis Ford, I would imagine I would have come across first um, just because of his absolute notoriety as, you know, a classic filmmaker. Um, And I was, you know, very into, very film buffy from a young age. So I think he would have been the first person I would have come across. But the first time I became aware that the Coppola family was bigger than just him in terms of filmmaking uh, would have been upon the release of uh, Sophia Coppola's first film, The Virgin Mm -hmm. Suicides. Um, When that was released and it was like, oh, I remember it being a big thing of this is Sophia Coppola, this is uh, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. Uh, who is directing this film. And I think that's when I first came. and go, oh, right, so the, the, the Coppola family is now more than just Francis Ford. <laughs> it is now kind of like, you know, now you have got Sophia as well. And I kind of feel like since then, there's been loads and loads and loads of nepotistic uh, kind of you know, daughters and sons of famous film directors uh, becoming directors. Um, but I kind yeah. of feel like Sophia Coppola is the first one I can think of in terms of like when that happened, it being because it was almost now you don't really hear much about it. If like, you know, Ridley Scott's son or something directs an Oasis documentary or whatever, you don't hear much about <laughs> like that fact. Whereas back then, like... I remember it being a big deal, being like, oh, this is Francis Ford Coppola's daughter directing this film. Um, And yeah, I think that's when I first became aware that the family was bigger. I certainly didn't realise that The Connection today, Talia Shire, was part of the Coppola family until I definitely knew before uh, you came up with the idea of this podcast. I did know, but it was one of those facts that are kind of, you know, you learn and then you kind of forget. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, you yeah. kind of just kind of dismiss it. Because in my head, Tali Shire is is just Adrian. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, obviously she <laughs> has done other films. She's she in The Fucking Godfather, obviously. You know, it's not exactly. like... Exactly. You yeah, talked she's about nepotism. An impressive <laughs> TV. But when I think of her, like, she's intrinsically linked with that character. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm of course of course um and it's like a it's a weird family and you say that thing about like sofia Coppola, and i think that was really interesting about the fact that like it was a big thing to say it's francis ford coppler's daughters the thing whereas a lot of other nepotistic um i don't know uh yeah well let, let, let's look at John Landis's son, for instance, like uh, Max Landis. Uh, I'm not going to mention him by name. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, the, like those kind of people very much feel like to some degree. And there, there's other ones. I think there's a there was a thing that went around on Twitter recently where there's like the son of this person, the daughter of this person. It's like four people, like Sean Penn's son, Steven Spielberg's daughter. Someone else, like uh, it's like written by this person, directed by this person, starring this person, and starring this person, and they were all uh kind of sons and daughters Mm. of actors and directors and Mm. stuff like that. Mm. Sophia Coppola very much feels like she, I don't know, proved herself very quickly that it wasn't just a thing of like, oh, I'm here because of who my dad is, it's like, yes, I'm also here because i've had possibly the greatest film school you could possibly have which is being on the set of apocalypse now being on the set of the the do you know what i mean all, all of the all of the films he made basically just being there whether it's like fanning about in the art department or just seeing what's going on just being like living and breathing films but like for her whole life and then just turn around one day. And the story for that, uh, which I'll get into on that, that episode, well, I'll say it here as well, it's like that film was meant, The Virgin Suicides, was meant to be directed by someone else. And Sofia Coppola's like, I love the book. I'm going to write a script. I'm just going to write a script and pitch it. And that that's how that film came about. Like, which is So you're
1: saying it pro- was going to be directed by some young, promising... Uh, working class filmmaker uh who this was their that. first big shot uh, at last and then Sofia Coppola came along and went no no I'm the daughter of Francis Ford so I'm going to direct it thank you and now he's on the dole the other goes gee directing. is that what you're saying
0: I'm saying, I'm saying it was a very feminist move that a woman got a job out a man in 1999. <laughs> right, right, okay, okay, yeah, 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 you can okay, say it that... like
1: that if you want. Um, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> I think that she has very much carved her own path. And I kind of think, funnily enough, I think she was probably helped by the fact that when she began directing films, her father's stature was severely diminished at that time. Like, Francis yes. Ford was not the filmmaker that he once was when she started directing movies. Obviously, he had a huge amount of issues, basically, uh, stemming back from One from the Heart, uh, where he basically self-financed it, and it kind of ruined him. Um, obviously, he did Godfather Part Three, is you know, essentially paying the bills. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he ended up directing films like Jack with Robin Williams and everything like that. And I think, really, it seemed almost like, at that point, like she had taken the torch from her father and, like, carried it on, Mm -hmm. you know. And also, the films that she was making were very, very different from the kind of films her dad would make. It's not like you'd mistake one of Sophia's films for one of her father's films. Um, And also, I will say, she did well in terms of a course she was, for a long time, the the biggest thing she was remembered for was her performance in The Godfather Part 3, which a lot of people Mm -hmm. ruthlessly mock. Well, I I would say, unfairly, I recently watched The Godfather Part 3 kind of new cut that came out. And one of my big takeaways from the new cut was I think she's fine. I don't think she's, like, the greatest actress in the world or anything. But I think she's totally fine considering she was a complete novice at acting, like when she did it. I I think her I do not think her performance is particularly bad. I think she comes across as kind of what she is, which is like a privileged young girl. Kind of thing like, you know, which (laughs) is what she was and what she is in the film. So if anything, I'd say she's quite well cast in the movie um you know and i yeah i think she does the job perfectly adequately like are there actors out there who could have given a better performance probably but i don't think she she's often been kind of like saddled with ruining godfather part 3 i'm like no francis ford ruined godfather part 3 like yeah you know i mean <laughs> like yeah he's like i mean it's it's i think it's actually a good film for what it is but in comparison to the first two obviously it sinks like a fucking titanic you know what i mean and i think that is not that is not her fault at all That is not down to her um so i think she did really well to kind of completely overcome those things and branch out by herself and become as successful as she has been
0: definitely definitely um what a weird what a weird tangent we're supposed to be talking about talia shire and we're talking about sophia coppola (laughs) that's what i love about this podcast um have you ever met a Coppola, Liam? Have you have you ever had the have you? I know you're a big Rocky fan. Have you have you brushed paths with Talia Shire at all, Adrian herself? Or? I have
1: not. I have not met any of the Coppolas, as far as I know. I'm sure there's so fucking many of them. I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> at some point I met like Barry Coppola. Or something like that. Just you know, while I was while I was working as a checkout boy in Sainsbury's, or something like, that, he probably came through. <laughs> just like, all right, mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Barry. I'm Barry. I'm the you know third cousin twice removed to Francis. Now, here's my nectar card. Like, you know, just like at some point that probably happened. But you know, no, not as far as I'm aware.
0: Perfect, perfect. Um, so what would have been your first film that would have start would would have, would have featured Talia Shire? Uh? think i have a feeling what it is but i think it us.
1: is more like more than likely rocky uh i'm pretty sure i saw rocky prior to uh the godfather uh, i think i would have seen that first um and yeah i looked over her filmography and i mean because she hasn't done a gigantic amount of films at the end of the day. Um, and I think obviously she's got the Rocky series and the Godfather series, which is you know big, huge, huge things to have on your uh, your film filmography. Um, but yeah, I would imagine it would have been Rocky because the first time I saw Rocky was they showed the first five back when there were only five Rocky films um, weekly on the BBC. Like I think it was what every Saturday night they would show the next Rocky film over like a season and uh i think that would have been when i was like 13 or 14 like sometime in the late 90s so yeah i think that would have been my first experience
0: what was the, the kind of impression of talia Shai? especially um, or even looking back like especially that first film like what what do you make of her performance in, in in that one like did she did she make a lasting impression on you
1: oh yeah certainly i mean she's an iconic character like, you know, when you think of Rocky, you think of him screaming Adrian uh, in the yeah. uh, in the ring. And she's... Uh, I think she's one of the great movie wives, isn't she? In terms of, like... I say, like, iconography. When you think of, like, hero characters and their partners, Adrian's got to be up there in terms of really iconic we- wife character um, of, like, the hero. And I think... Even because watching the first five films, like back to back, uh, then week after week, um, I think you really saw her character development is really strong through the films in terms of her performance, her character really changes over those movies as her character becomes far more confident, um, throughout exactly. the films.
0: I, I, I love the kind of that she gets an arc as well, mm. and like that it isn't just she's like put upon and it's like some of the most like beautiful scenes especially in that first one are those moments between her and sylvester stallone and like i remember i think this on the uh commentary for the first film she like <laughs> has this uh recollection of first meeting sylvester stallone and kind of like i think she had the same impression as everybody else like this guy has written this film and like she just said he was like kind of like this big bulking bear almost like he's like a kind of like hulking guy and she was like and but then like found this tenderness and sweetness to him and those scenes especially in the first one like i love their scenes together and like their relationship is i think what makes like especially in the the first two i would say like more so is what makes the series really special like yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: he's, he's one of the greatest romances in cinema. I don't think there's any denying that. Like in terms of, like, you know, there's there's very few romances that touch me as deeply as theirs in in that film. Like, you know, in terms of Rocky and Adrian, I think is one of the genuinely one of the great love stories of cinema. I don't, you know, I don't think anyone can quibble that.
0: So, um, before we get to talking about uh, Rocky Free, I wanted to ask you, because obviously you're a big Sylvester Stallone fan, what is it that you find so compelling about him as this kind of uh, movie star and entity? Because it, it's not just the the film star you like, right? You you, you love the man, Liam.
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, he's genuinely, I mean, for a long time, I would have described him as one of my heroes, I think now, I think like now, it's almost good to not have heroes in the film industry, just in case, you know, (laughs) like these. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I always, because Rocky, he's gone on record many many times as saying that's an autobiographical character in many ways, (laughs) and I think that Rocky's kind of story and his kind of rise and fall and rise and fall kind of map Stallone's own career. And he yeah. kind of, while Rocky is the great underdog character, i say that Stallone is kind of the great underdog of cinema, in many ways. Because this is a guy who, his first major leading role, kind of out of the gate, is him writing the script. He kind of, you know, sells sells the script for a small amount in order to be able to play the lead, he holds out for that and everything like that. That's a huge and inspirational story in itself. And he does it. It pays off massively with gigantic box office, best film at the Oscars, everything like that. And then over time, by the mid eighties, he becomes this huge action star. and. He kind of becomes, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone become the two action icons. And that's how it's kind of carried on since. And he's kind of fallen in and out of favour as time has gone on. And he's always come back to Rocky. And Rocky has always been the thing that's usually pulled him out of the mire. In 2006, when um, his career was at its lowest ebb, it was coming back to write and direct Rocky Balboa which brought him back out and made him successful again. And then he went on to the Expendables and everything that were big box office successes, whatever you might think of those films. And then it kind of literally (laughs) started to kind of swallow again. And then suddenly he's back again with Creed. And then he's nominated for fucking Oscar. He wins a golden globe. Like, you know, it's like he's completely back on top again. And I'm sure we'll see those peaks and troughs again, to be honest. As time goes on, I think we're already starting to see them. And I think I I find that very, I find his story very inspiring as someone who has studied film, has kind of written and directed kind of short films, commercials and stuff like that. And I, I just, to me, I think he's someone who defies the odds and also defies people's expectations of him a lot of people think of Sly, like you say, is a bit of a, like a dumb lug kind of thing because he's got, you know, he obviously famously, uh, when during his birth, uh, forceps were used and they kind of like severed a nerve in his face or something like that. So it's, like there's part of his face that's kind of like paralyzed and everything like that. And I think often because of that, people unfairly try and label him as like, you know, some dumb lug kind of thing. And it's like, no, this guy wrote, one of the best picture winners at the end of the day, the character was actually wrote the best picture winner, the one over taxi driver, you know, and whether you think that was right or not, like, yeah, it fucking happened. And, you know, (laughs) it's that thing of like, you know, sorry, but he's not just the kind of, you know, dumb action star that you think he he is genuinely, he can be a brilliant actor. I think he can rest on his laurels and sleepwalk through roles sometimes, much like lots of other kind of famous actors kind of can, like Bruce Willis and such, and such. But I think when he's on it, he's on it. And he can still pull it out. And the fact that he did Creed and suddenly, like I say, he won- wins a goal go he's nominated for an Oscar. That's a brilliant performance in Creed. He can still pull it out of the bag when he wants to. And, yeah, yeah, James Gunn has been using him recently in a lot of kind of like, films. He can really kind of bring it for that. And it's just, yeah, I think he often proves his haters, like, wrong. And, like, I just find him an inspiring figure and got a lot of time for him.
0: So let's have a look at where Sylvester Stallone was in 19... In the early uh, 1980s. Because this is a 1982 picture. Yeah. So, like... Obviously, this is coming off the back of Nighthawks and Escape to Victory. Like, would you say that is like uh, a kind of a peak or a trough in uh, Stallone's career? Because I know that obviously, I think you definitely see it in Rocky too, and the, the 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 story of that. That after the commercial failure of Paradise Alley, you very much see that in the script of like rocky too it's like a kind of guy who is at the point where he's like i've i've had this fight and i'm kind of battling with dealing with this success but i've had i've had a knock do you know what i mean i've had a knock on my confidence somewhat
1: yeah that's an interesting thing. I'm sure that's true. I think he's always said that like wherever he is is in his life is reflected in his rocky script. So I think that's that's definitely possible. Um I'm not a fan of Escape uh, to Victory to be honest. Um I yeah I, I mean, it, it it's like I know there are some people who really think of that film fondly and that's fine. Um but obviously it's an ensemble piece. And he's kind of a small mm-hmm. part of it. Um, and yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just not a huge fan of that film. Nighthawks, I think, is really interesting. has got some really uh, cool stuff in it. And I think Nighthawks is of the era where Sly was still doing some really interesting stuff. Uh, more like mm-hmm. things like Fist and Paradise Alley and stuff like where he was doing more kind of challenging films. Because Nighthawks is just like a proper hard-boiled crime movie, like in many ways, like, you know, like cop flip. Um It's not perfect or anything, but I think it's it's really interesting to see him in that that kind of film at that time where he's very much concentrating still on performance and stuff like that. Um, uh, 1982, of course, is an incredible year for Sloan because his two films that he released that year are Rocky Free and First Blood, the first yeah. Rambo film, which is, I mean, that's... What a gigantic year for any film star <laughs> to have those two in the first year. And First Blood, of course, again, is pre him really going that full action star mode because... First Blood is, like, a proper, small, like, siege thriller kind of, like, type film, and it's not uh, a big, huge action film, like, at all. It's really, like, interesting. You know, the, the, the final, the big final sequence of First Blood is just two guys talking, basically, um, it's got a very yeah. downbeat ending. It's not until First Blood Part Two that things go into kind of one man army mode. Um, so yeah, I think he's. I think he's a. a I think this has got to be one of his career high points. I think that knocking out First Blood and Rocky free in the same year.
0: It's definitely like the precipice of a new era of Sylvester Stallone, right? Which... Yes. Yeah. So so let's talk about Rocky Free. but before we do, here's the trailer. Now, when we fought,
1: you had that eye of the tiger, man, the edge. And now you've got to get it back. And the
2: way to get it back is to go back to the beginning. You know what I mean? United Artists and Chartoff Winkler proudly present Rocky Free.
1: The worst thing happened
0: to you
2: that could happen to any fighter. You got civilized. Get out of here with
1: you. The truth is, we both started out on the same corner, and I got lucky with my life, and it's driving you nuts.
2: Philadelphia salutes its favorite son, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> hey, why don't you tell all these nice folks why you've been ducking me? This guy is a wrecking machine.
1: You know, you've got a big mouth.
2: Why don't you come out and close about Balboa? Come on.
1: Don't I want to fight go. this guy. You'll him without
2: me. Go. Get out of here, Come on, on man, go. Go. Balboa was a fine champion, but his time has passed. See that look in their eyes, Rock? You gotta get
0: that look back, Rock. I, the tiger, come on. I will destroy any man who tries to take what I got. I'm gonna torch him. I'm gonna crucify him real bad. For the first time in my life, I'm afraid.
2: Damn, Rod! Right, come on! There's nothing wrong with being afraid. You
0: thought I was tough? This jump will kill you. You wake up after a few years thinking you're a winner, but you're not.
2: There is no tomorrow.
0: You're really a loser.
2: Well, I don't believe it. There is no tomorrow, Come on! Come tomorrow! tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow.
0: Rocky's greatest challenge, to save his honor, his marriage, and his manhood against his most devastating and dangerous opponent. I'll bust you on. Go for it.
2: Sylvester Stallone, Talia Shire, Burgess Meredith, Carl Weathers, Bert Young, and introducing Mr. T.
1: Rocky III, an American tradition.
0: If that doesn't get you pumped to talk about Rocky, Liam, I don't know what will. And that's
1: an amazing trailer. I, I don't think I've ever seen the trailer to Rocky Three, and that is <laughs> just even hearing it. I'm like, fuck! What a trailer? Because usually you look, you look back at trailers from that era, and they're often quite kind of slow and not got much to. It. Whereas that, like, if, if that's the original trailer, that's like fucking hell. If you're in the cinema. In 1982, and that comes on, you're like, you're booking your ticket. You just, whatever film you're watching, you're just walking out to the foyer of booking your ticket and be like, I don't even need to see that film anymore. Booking my ticket for Rocky Free.
0: Well, it's, it's the fact, I, I love the line in that trailer where he's like,
1: It's an American
0: tradition. And like, the the, the kind of hyperbole of like, He's here to save his marriage and his manhood. It's like, <laughs> is it, like, one of those is true. I don't know about the marriage. Like, that seems pretty, like, solid in this film. But, like, I love... Well, um,
1: not according to Clara. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> you um, try so, real man.
0: <laughs> so, what is your relationship with this film? And when did you first see it, Liam?
1: Uh so yeah, as I said earlier, um my first experience of the first five Rocky films uh, was watching on this season on TV. So this is something that probably doesn't really happen much now where like over like it's a big thing. Where like literally I remember it yeah. being like advertised on the BBC like yo, we're showing all five Rocky films like once a week, like I think like you know 'cause this was in the late nineties where before, you know, people had loads of DVDs. And it was a thing. Of, like, in those days, like, you know, most people weren't buying loads of VHSs. So it was either see it on rental from the VHS store or watch it on TV. So when those... It was like, oh, this is an opportunity. I was like, great. I've never seen the Rocky films and go watch the first one, see what I think. I remember being really blindsided by the first one, actually, and thinking... It wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all because... Like I say, everyone kind of Rocky. I think public perception of Rocky people instantly think like Rocky 4, I think people tend to think that sort of mode of Rocky and forget that it's a really gritty, like kitchen sink drama when it starts. Um, and then Rocky 3 is the one, and that was funny actually watching the week on week, you could see how how fast like the tone. Like, started to morph and change because Rocky 2 is still quite gritty and kitchen sink, but it has the scene with millions of kids running after Rocky where things go a bit bad, where you're like, What? Like, you know, and Um, the
0: the soundtrack in 2, I love like the the evolution of Gonna Fly Now because in 2, all of a sudden, it's post. It's post disco and it's got like a slap bass and all of a sudden yeah. it's got a bit more pace to it. It's like bow now. It's a bit more yeah. like, oh yeah, let's let's get those knees up. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you can imagine strutting in flares to that one. You can imagine yeah. Uh, yeah. John Travolta stepping onto the scene to to that one. It's
1: a bit more funky, it's a bit more funky. Um and then three is basically the birth of I think what some people refer to as super rocky. Where literally he kind of, I mean, he looks very different in the third film. Mm. Like uh, yeah. Stallone, where was saying, like the first two, he basically just concentrated on packing on as much mass as possible. Because obviously he's playing a heavyweight fighter. And then in this film, he just decided to like lean down. So this is where he starts to get into that zone of like competing with Arnie and stuff like that, because by now, I suppose, Conan's come out, everything like that, and he starts getting that zone where suddenly it's like, you know, starting to become a bit of a competition between them, and he, like, leans out, becomes, he. I mean, in this, he's, like, proper fucking ripped, and really yeah. lean, and they actually, they even, one of the commentators actually says, uh, towards the end, in the final fight, as he's about going, they go, oh, wow, he looks like, he almost looks like a middleweight, because he's so yeah. fucking lean, and suddenly, all of a sudden, um, and yes, yeah, so he physically looks extremely different and he looks more like, uh, more like a superhero. Um, you know, and, and Rocky suddenly is elevated to a different sort of status. And that actually fits in very well with my hypotheses that, uh, this film highly influenced The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, like literally, <laughs> uh, if it, you could basically track the plot to this the Dark Knight Rises are very similar. And there's lots and lots okay. of points which are almost like direct lifts and I'll kind of pinpoint them as we go through where literally you can the, compare I... practically scene for scene, line for line of uh, bits of Dark Knight Rises and they're incredibly similar uh, with the Batman and Bane rivalry. So I kind of think that totally fits in terms of this is a superhero story. And Clover Lang, I think, is, is the first super villain of the Rocky franchise, yes. which of course Drago follows up in the next film because Apollo Creed is you know he was obviously inspired by Muhammad Ali uh, and stuff like that. he's more based on robots. Whereas this is now giving him larger than life rivals because uh, in this we get both and we also get like two in this. This is like Joel Schumacher's Batman afraid, where you get Thunderlits and <laughs> Clovelang, you know I mean? like, you know, rather than like you know like Two Face and the Riddler, like you know.
0: The, the, well there's the, the, there's a whole thing that sliced alone and I, I love that you come in with a hot take out the gate as well you come in <laughs> like hard with a oh yeah i well i, I, I i'll i share i'll share my little hot take or just kind of like theory that it's the rocky franchise and stallone a template for fast and the furious and vin diesel's career because it very much feels like especially when it comes to rocky free there is this thing that the fast and the furious franchise has done quite a lot is that thing of ingesting previous villains into like the 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 heroes camp in the way that apollo creed becomes like his trainer in this one and Like let's look like the whole thing of Rocky very much is about family. Do you know what I mean like he, whether it's like actual family or extended family or created family? Like in this one where we start off, he's like he's moved Mickey in. We have that scene between like him and uh, Paulie quite like early on in the film, which we'll get into. But like yeah. how he's like, I, I, I want to be a part of that. Do you know what I mean, you you've moved Mickey and you haven't moved me, and it's this like. He's creating this this I don't. yeah, this and it feels like Rocky Free is like Vin Diesel must have seen that and be like, Oh the, that would be a good that that would be a good uh, premise for what we do with the Fast and the Furious films. Like like moving on down the line. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well I do think that the third film is where yeah, you could say the third film's when it comes about family. Like yeah, in terms of like yeah. because actually the first two films are very kind of rocky focus and although there is an ensemble around him it's still quite loose and stuff like that whereas the third film goes he's now a star he's now heavyweight champion of the world he's an icon and essentially that draws the other characters closer to him and being like he's like the light that they all kind of come around and now it's like team and now you've got apollo mickey paulie Adrian. Going like, you know, and they're all coming around now. There's and also, um, a Duke as well. Like so essentially like now and and everyone is kind of like pulled in to his sphere. So it does sort of become a family kind of thing in the third film.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I love about it. Um yeah, and Sylvester Stallone said like when looking for potential opponents for this film, like he he actually did sparring with a couple of fighters. I can't remember one of them but the second one was joe frazier he looked at like joe frazier as being like the potential opponent for this film like the right. the, the main <laughs> the main uh, yeah the main antagonist and he said he got in the ring and kind of could feel the punches like in his skull and they were like body punches and he was like uh like I'd, i i maybe got a bit cocky after like thinking i was like could be a boxer after the first two films that maybe we need to maybe we need to find someone else and um there's a yeah there's this brilliant clip of him on uh, a talk show talking about how he found mr t and Rocky three i needed
1: someone who was really an interesting nemesis hmm. and we looked around and the uh, the casting director name was ronda young finally said you should see this guy on television mr t he's throwing midgets and he's breaking doors with his forehead i said this is my kind of man. <laughs> I like him. He's got style, and I looked and he had a mohawk and eight earrings and mm-hmm. and all the jewelry. It looked like an explosion at at Cartier. Yeah. It was like, boom, all of and it, it was terrific. It was a great character. You know, yeah, he
0: was so, so yeah. Like he kind of found Mr. T in kind of obscurity on TV, and like he knew that that had to be the villain for this film, and what a villain he is.
1: Oh yeah, incredible! I, I must say, I find actual real life sly of that era super charming. Like in that kind of oh. like, like really, really like. Uh, have you ever seen Rhinestone with Dolly Parton?
0: No, no I mean it's, a lot of, on the list. Yeah, <laughs> I mean a
1: lot of people would advise you not to, but I actually think it's underrated. I think it's good fun. And like I think, yeah, you know, he he's really charming that with uh with Dolly uh, from that, like, like, which is nineteen eighty four. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's great. And like you say, Clubber, I mean, what a fucking bit! And I kind of think amazing because when I originally saw Rocky three, obviously at the time, I just thought Mr T, like you just think Mr T, and so therefore, instantly becomes a bit bit of a joke in your head. Kind of thing that it's Mr. Mm-hmm. T in an actual film, uh, that's not kind of, and you do just when you first see it, you just think it's Mr. T rather than it's Club Alang. Whereas yeah, watching yeah. It this, time, what gone.
0: I'm sure if like a lot of people, if you say like, "Are uh, Rocky Free," they will probably, if you speak about Club Lang, they'll probably quote him from the A team. They'll probably go like, I pity the fool. Do you know what I mean? That they'll, yeah, yeah, they'll yeah, come yeah. out with his catchphrases, and it's like. No, this is pre that. This
1: is like, although as he the does, trailer said, This he is... does say I pity the fool, doesn't he? Or he says I because he says um, later on they say, he goes they go. Do you hate Rocky Balbar? He's like, no, I don't hate the man, but I pity the fool. I pity any man who try to take my time away from me. Doesn't he say that?
0: <laughs> I, like that doesn't spring to mind. But you, you, you're probably more of a an authority on it than uh, I am. Um,
1: or well, he says something close so, to that. I think. Fierce of me, every <laughs> line that comes out of his mouth is potentially quotable in this film. But what I was going to say is, is although he is, I think we think of him as slightly a figure of fun because he's so he is funny in the film, but just because he's so he's so in your face. But I do think his performance is super charismatic. He's got tons and tons of presence, and he is fucking scary. Like in the film, like. It's funny because you kind of almost like because it's BA Bracus. Obviously, he's a big guy, but he's so covered in like medallions and like clothes and loads of layers that you kind of almost go, "Oh, is he that big?" Whereas here, obviously, you're seeing him with his top off. He's fucking huge, like in the photo. He's like massive, and you are like, he's a fucking scary guy. He looks fucking ferocious yeah. as fuck. He's the way he's taking down people, like in the earlier sequences. You go, this guy is fucking dangerous.
0: So, yeah, let's talk about that kind of, like, that opening, like, montage you get. So, obviously, we get that, like, classic Rocky thing of the recap end of uh, the film with the kind of, yeah, yeah, with the, Adrian, I just want to say one thing. Adrian, we did it! And then we kind of get um, that, like, montage, which I think is an amazing bit of filmmaking in the fact, like, you get so much... Within that montage of like what Rocky's doing, what like this this unknown threat, and that like I think it plays into your uh Dark Knight Rises theory that like you don't like it. Just seems like Clubber Lang is this guy who you don't really know why he's got this vendetta against Rocky. Apart well, from the fact that just, like, the he thinks he's should. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, about yeah, being, yeah. And, that's, yeah. and that, sure, again,
1: that's the Bane thing with Bane. It's about, like, you know, it's very much, or certainly in the comics, uh, which they're based on, when Bane first goes back, it's about being, the, it's about, he wants to be the man who broke the bat, because he wants to prove that he is the kind of, you know, basically the greatest fighter, like, in the world, kind of thing, everything like that, that he will dominate Batman, that's it, and obviously there's a few other elements in the kind of film that kind of muddied that slightly. But essentially that's still the same idea that in terms of he wants to show that he can break the bat, that he is, he is better kind of than him, superior. And it's, yeah, it's a similar thing. This where he just comes out of nowhere and is just like, you know, instantly like challenging him to take him on. And um, I will just say previously on Rocky two, literally even the previously, even though it's cut down from the actual film because they cut out his line where um, when he first gets the bell, he says, "Apart from like the birth of my kid, this is the greatest night of my life." And they cut that line and just go straight to, hey "Agent, I did it!" Like yeah, she's going, "I love you, I love you." Watching at home, um, <laughs> and he falls into Mickey's arms and kind of collapses from the from the battle. Uh, I, I cried. I just cried like it turns out, literally. I well, actually, to be complete clear, I paused, paused, went in and spoke <laughs> to my wife and told her about watching it, about how I just and I just started crying, like tell, tell her about, it. like going like literally, like I. The endings of Rocky One and Rocky Two are two of the things that will get me. There are certain ending. There are endings yeah. of a couple of films that will just destroy me. Kind of thing, the ending of It's a Wonderful Life, the ending of The Apartment, and the ending of Rocky One and Two, like, will literally just, they're like a trigger for me. And literally, when he turns <laughs> around and says, like, I did it, and it cuts back to her home, and she's just got entirely show beautiful performance for entire show He's watching, because she has to watch from home, because she's been obviously ill in the second film, and she's just staring at that TV screen, just going, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's just fucking beautiful. Like, literally,
0: incredible. One of the things I wanted to say that I love about that opening montage is the the shots we get of uh, Clubber Lang, where it's like he's at fights that Rocky's at, and it's uh, that that Rocky's competing. And it's these kind of like... Like, really, it feels like a hangover from the 70s because it's like these kind of like whip pans and kind of like fast zooms into him. Just him looking really pissed off. Well, just like, and it's, I love it. I like, it's just him just like snarling at the camera.
1: This is a montage too. Eye of the Tiger, of course, as a massive yeah. hit from the film. And what I noticed about this montage, which I know noticed before, it was like everyone is watching everyone because literally Mr. T is watching Rocky's fights and he obviously realises, he kind of cottons onto the fact that Rocky is fighting subpar fighters and you can yeah. tell he's like annoyed by it and he's always watching it with like an annoyed look on his face and he a couple of times he got like, storms out like halfway through a fight <laughs> looking back like annoyed because kind of he knows it's like a shit fight he's like, I should be in there. Meanwhile... Mickey is going to see Clubber Lang's fights and is watching him and seeing that he's really dangerous and ferocious and getting scared, which eventually builds to... Cover spotting Mickey in the audience somehow and calling him out and being like, "Hey, old man, you tell, you tell, Barbara, I'm coming for him. I'm going to eat. And like, you see, like Mickey, like try to like pull up his like collar, like, oh, <laughs> like yeah. And also, Paulie is meanwhile yeah. the uh, he must be like the other side of the uh, theater to Club Lang. Is watching Rocky's fights again and getting like jealous and weird and being like watching him win and being like, "Oh, it should be me up there!" Like going, "Like, you know, He's just like, I don't know why I've just performed poorly, like faking for all it is. I pretty much do. You're more cool too, Rocky. But, uh, but yeah, that's happening. So it just really wears me out. There's this weird juxtaposition going on of everyone watching everyone's fights, <laughs> like yeah.
0: Yeah, I so I want to play that clip of Clubber Lang calling out Mickey just because. i oh, beautiful. I want that boy. I want that boy. You tell that
2: man, you tell boy, I'm coming for him. Nobody can beat me. You tell him what I said. Are you next, I'm gonna kill him. Nobody can stop me. You tell that boy that I'm coming after him. You tell him. I want to shot at the title. That boy's got the
1: guts to meet me in the ring or anywhere else. My whole life's been directed towards this title and nothing
0: else. I live alone. And I train alone. I win the title alone. I want him. He
2: can't duck me forever. He can run, but he can't hide. Well, another southpaw. Heavyweight champion Rocky Balboa doesn't seem to be worried about much these days. <laughs>
0: so, so what what I love about this is it kind of like it perfectly melds into those two worlds you've been talking about. The kind of bitterness of Paulie watching on like because he's watching in the bar from Rocky 1 isn't it? Yes, he's like yeah, kind yeah. of like gone. He's still in Philadelphia. He's he's, he's at the bar and that like everyone's asking him about Rocky. And obviously we've had this montage and need, a quick sidebar. We definitely need to talk about one of the things I love in this, uh, just to show like the kind of the wealth that Rocky has amassed. We get this like kind of montage of things that he's advertising, whether it's like covers of GQ DeLorean, I think, is in there. Maserati, American Express, Nick. I mean, obviously, Wheaties, Rocky's Gator. endorsement
1: of the DeLorean did not help its sales. goes weird because it's pre Back to the Future.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So you got we got we got DeLorean, we got we got uh, Crunch Punch, which I'm not sure if it's a real like cereal seri- or like bar. But it looks like a kind of rocky branded bar. We see all like the merch we've got, Budweiser, um, and then like there's a fuel company that has like the uh a slogan which is Remember the good old days, which sounds really like hard Brexit like now. Um and um we obviously see an appearance of him on the Muppet Show, which you watched right you, you watched you watch this Muppet show appearance
1: yeah, I watched some of it the other day because it's on Disney plus along with all the rest of the episodes of the Muppet Show. This is season three uh nineteen seventy nine appearance so this would actually been screened uh when like Rocky Two was out um so presumably a yeah. promotion for that. Uh, but he, he, there's a kind of clip of him from that episode, I believe, uh, where it's just going, it's just Sly on there, but they're just obviously decided to go, oh, that, that was Rocky, like, uh, on that show, obviously, like, uh, yeah. I,
0: I watched a little clip of that, um, and there's a really weird segment where loads of female Muppets find Sylvester Stallone, like, Irresistible. Yes, and like, yeah, all yeah. They're all
1: keep...
0: go. Yeah. Oh, really... yeah, all <laughs> I can keep thinking is like, is Sly gonna fuck up muppet? it's Sly gonna <laughs> fuck up it? And I just like, I was like, this is weird. This is weird. Is Sylvester Stallone gonna sleep with? Uh the, the, the woman from, from the band from from the Muppets.
1: I mean, I think that was probably a thing, wasn't it? That was probably a thing in old Muppets episodes. Yeah. That if they got like yeah. a, a hot like a, what, one, a hot babe on, then the male Muppets would be like, whoa, and if they got like, whoa, whoa, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, a stud on like Stallone, they all the female Muppets would be Miss Piggy blatantly probably had a scene with him at some point. Like um yeah. but it also contains you know there's that really fascinating famous gif of stallone where he's quite young and he's kind of got that little where he kind of looks at the camera he's like whoa like there's a sort of double take
0: yeah, um, yeah,
1: that's, yeah, yeah. that's from the opening of that episode of the muppets where amazing um, yeah <laughs> one of the muppets kind of knocks on his door and says like oh he, he, you know you happy with everything mr stallone he's like oh i'm as happy as a cliff and then suddenly, like some Muppet clams come along and go, Oh, I'm so depressed and unhappy. Like, and he's like, Oh, well, as happy as some clams. <laughs> yeah. And then does that look, <laughs> uh, you yeah, know, like this, like starts the Stars of Muppet show. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's great stuff. Well worth checking out if you like the Muppets and stuff. Amazing.
0: Well, but back to my original point is, yeah, obviously that, that clip of Club Alang merges into like just Paulie pissed off in a bar and we get this like very like woozy scene of paulie kind of like walking around philadelphia and uh, i like i don't know whether it's because i've very much been on like a brian de palma binge at the moment but feel feels like something like out of like uh blow up or something uh, mm. Yeah. Or something like that, where it's like this kind of like tracking shots of Paulie like walking about like the kind of, uh, I don't know, like entertainment district of Philadelphia and goes into that arcade and like the, the, the camera just feels a bit woozy. And well, stuff he's like drunk, and, like, isn't he? he obviously... As he
1: usually is. Yeah. Because Paulie <laughs> is an alcoholic, isn't he? I don't think it's ever said like explicitly. In the, but he is yeah. an alcoholic. There's no way he can't be. Like, his character, the way he used to be, he's always sozzled, always. And he's so kind of like He's clearly got huge psychological problems. And like, he's so belligerent, yeah. I- incredibly unlikable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the the thing is, he, he has this confrontation with Rocky yeah all about like kind of feeling like downtrodden and I I, like yeah I'll obviously play this this clip of like Rocky kind of digging him out for the shit that that, that he's giving him maybe it's the hell with you
2: I don't want to listen to this crap
1: come on you talk like everybody owes you a living
2: shut your mouth
1: look nobody owes nobody nothing you owe yourself you're wrong friends owe friends don't owe they do because they want to do Shut your freaking mind. You've been keeping me down. Down? You know, you're like a crazy brother to me. You really are. So I want to tell you something. This is coming straight from the heart, Paul. And I mean
0: this. You ain't down. And you ain't a loser. You're just a jealous, lazy bum. Well, what we, like, one of the things that, like, I feel like is definitely missed in that is, is the fact that, like, Rocky has helped him out, right? He kind of like linked him up with Gazzo in the second one, and kind of gave him his old job and stuff. Like that. And like, I'm sure if like, and it kind of transpires to the fact where it's like, like just poorly, pathetically going like, "Can I have a job?" And he's like, "Oh, all you had to do was ask," like type thing. And like, so I put this out to people online saying like, "Who is the true villain?" of the Rocky (laughs) franchise. And it, it, like, not New Manus, it it didn't, yeah, it wasn't 100%, but like, it was, it was very much Paulie. Paulie is the villain of the whole Rocky franchise. For
1: full disclosure, you did leave Drago out, didn't
0: you? I did leave Drago out, but I feel like, I feel like that is very much like, that's, He's because he's not he, like I don't think Drago is, and I think like I'll get into it on 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 that episode like in in detail, but like but
1: you could argue that Drago hard. was fighting for his country, and like yeah, it's literally nothing. Yeah, wrong for that.
0: exactly. Whereas, <laughs> he's whereas Paulie is like is whereas Paulie is basically like an an abusive yes. brother. He's kind of like. He's, he's a piece of shit, basically. Yes, Paulie, yeah. like, doesn't really care for anyone but himself. Yeah. And, like, it's it's seen no more than, like, this kind of confrontation with Rocky, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't get Paulie as a character now. If they made... So, like, it, I think it's very telling that Creed doesn't have a Paulie. Like, you're in the Creed yeah. films, Creed, like, um uh, Baby Creed, or whatever he is, Adonis, uh, doesn't have uh, like a character, a Pauly type, like a hanger-on like around him who's just awful in every single way because Pauly, I would argue in the first five films pretty much has zero redeeming features. I would say for me, Pauly's redemption comes in Rocky Balboa. Like in Rocky Balboa, mm-hmm. I think, is the film where because he's far older than that, Although he's still poorly in it, so he's still got kind of like, you know, some gags and stuff like that. He has mellowed a huge amount. And obviously him and Rocky have remained best friends, despite the fact that Rocky has fallen on hard times financially. So he kind of proves that actually he is loyal to Rocky no matter what. Because actually, Rocky no longer has kind of you know the 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 money to splash around anymore. I mean, that is we should point out that is thanks to Paulie fucking up the taxes. Although, wild (laughs) earth, wild earth, Rocky ever gave Paulie control over anything as important as that? I have no idea. Um, but in that movie, I think we kind of see because I remember vividly in Rocky Balboa, there's the silent moment. Where uh, Paulie is made redundant from his job that he's had for decades, and that is very sad and played very beautifully. And also, I think it's in that film where he has the moment where he kind of thank, finally thanks like uh, Rocky for all he's ever done for him. Kind of thing, like you know. And I think, and he almost shows as well like a tinge of regret over the way he treated Adrian as well in that film. And I kind of think, for me, Rocky Balboa is sort of his redemption in many ways. And then, of course, he's passed by the time Creed comes along. Uh, But for the first five films, I think he is just an unrelenting Belen, Because, like, literally, (laughs) he's just been arrested, right? Like, because he smashes up the arcade. So presumably, Rocky has bailed him out. Presumably spent loads of money batting around. And he's still fucking complaining. Like it's just like, you know, it's yeah, he's <laughs> a total dickhead, completely.
0: But but what do you think of like Bert Young's portrayal of Paulie? Like, do you think he does he does an amazing job, right, to play this like piece of
1: shit. Yeah, I mean he does in terms of I think Burt Young's a great actor I love his episode of The Sopranos Um, He's in a brilliant episode of The Sopranos called Another Toothpick where he plays Bobby Bacalar's dad who's like a famous hitman and he goes on, like, one last job in that episode. It's really... And he's got, like, cancer, uh, lung cancer. He's constantly, like, coughing his guts up while Child like, committing <laughs> these murders. It's fucking great. Um, I think he's a great actor, and he's great in these movies. So, I mean, he's really good at playing a fucking twat. Um, I think he kind of manages to kind of make... Paulie can be quite funny a lot of times like it can be quite amusing to kind of laugh at and also I think you don't mind seeing Paulie get a bit of stick because he's such a dick so there's a bit in this where uh, Rocky pulls him into a swimming pool at one point like fully cut (laughs) and it's funny you can laugh at it because he's such a end. who cares um like you know but yeah he i think he's good performance but he's just he's playing an awful awful person you
0: know so like the next scene we get is like one of like that one of the things i love in the rocky franchise is we get these like we get that kind of high drama between rocky and paulie of this kind of like confrontation but then it's like juxtaposed with like this tender, sweet moment between <coughs> him and Adrian, kind of just like talking and like showing the vulnerability, and I think like that, that's a real testament of Sylvester Stallone as an actor and a writer that like he knows that what makes these films work is the vulnerability of the character, and when he like shows that vul- like with like he's not the greatest singer, like in in the Stallone family, we know that's Frank. Like, but like he gives I, I this like, <laughs> he gives this ham-fisted like singing performance with it, and I find like that mu- that moment like really like heartfelt and beautiful, and that's like that's what keeps like bringing me back to the Rocky films is the moments between him and Adrian.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely, and I, I think there's even better Rocky and Adrian stuff to come later in this film. But I think you're completely right in terms of I think this movie, considering it is the sort of birth of Rocky as a more superhero type figure, he is actually incredibly vulnerable in this film and really shows his kind of cracks, kind of thing behind the mask. Um, Yeah, much like Bruce Wayne in Dark Knight Rises when he's in the uh, underground prison.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Well, let's talk about the Rocky versus Thunderlips fight what do you make of this sequence this kind of charity boxing wrestling match that rocky partakes in
1: uh I, i'd say he's i always thought the rocky Thunderlips uh battle is weird because it kind of feels quite thrown in in terms of it's it's not really essential to the plot at all really no. Um and it feels like Hulk Hogan was presumably a huge wrestling star at the time this was made, presumably. Uh I don't know enough about kind of wrestling history to know whether he was massive yeah. at this time or not, but I presume he was. Um
0: Well it he, he definitely was in stature at least. That's what yeah, I mean. yeah. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. Although
1: tall. He was of very course tall. recently Sly posted an Instagram post showing him standing on like uh Hulk Hogan's standing on that apple cart to make himself look even bigger. Because the the bit where they actually kind of come face to face and Sly is like, up to his like, pecs or whatever, like, literally that apparently it is like, you know, that's not real in terms of how how yeah. huge he is. But he is, Hulk Hogan is really tall though, I believe, in, in general, like, anyway. And certainly this time is that, massive.
0: We get that great line from Paulie where he's like, why are people carrying him in, and like uh, I think he's like Mickey's like, <laughs> yeah. oh he's walking, he's walking, yeah. <laughs> and like you kind of like that kind of like sets up the, the 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 stakes of this, but like despite Hulk Hogan being a massive piece of shit like i've i I've, 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 it's quite fun that's what I, I think this is where the the rocky franchise really like i don't know breaks through the Rubicon to being like a bit more popcorn than being like quite a serious franchise.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Like it's this this sequence is where you go. If you were watching this in the cinema in nineteen eighty two, after seeing the first two films, this is the sequence where you'd suddenly be like, oh wait, is this the kids running after Rocky sequence of this film? And you think, is it gonna kind of revert back afterwards to being more gritty and it doesn't. In this, it, it goes more, <laughs> it's still it's glossy, like, all the way through. E- even though there are darker, heartfelt moments, it's still a far glossier movie, insidious movie. And, like, this sequence, but I, to me, it doesn't make any sense because they're meant to be doing a charity bow. And at the beginning, Rocky is kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, you throw me around and I fool you around. You know, it turns out, like Tom Hogan. And Hogan's just like... Like, I, like, you know, he's taking it really seriously... And then they start fighting and Hulk Hogan is literally battering the living shit out of Rocky. <laughs> like he is lifting him up off the fucking floor. And also he, he Hulk Hogan literally does the Bane back snap. He literally pick, goes, yep. I'm going to break your back, picks Rocky up off the floor and then slams him down over his knee Bane style. So that is, literally <laughs> is in there. And, like, but when this is all happening, and people, and while this is happening, Mickey is having, like, a fucking heart attack. We're like, no! Like, like yeah, you know, yeah agents yeah. watching. Run for your life, Run like, for your Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, the son is being like, oh, is daddy okay? And she's like, oh, well, maybe not by tonight. But, yeah, just, like, literally, he's getting absolutely fucking destroyed. And even the commentators go... My God, like Balboa is really in pain here. Like, I think, like, you know, and I go at the end, Hulk Hogan reveals that he was just like joking about basically, and it was all just for charity, and it was just like a big joke. But I'm like, wait, wait a minute, but Rocky didn't know that. And clearly, <laughs> when you're doing this thing, you are genuinely hurting him. Because I mean, the beating that Hulk Hogan gives to him in the ring makes it look like he'd be crippled for life. Going kind of like, you know, yeah, you. Will. I don't get it. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. In terms, of, I'm like, it can't be a joke. Like, if if I was Rocky, I'd be like. Well, it's not a very funny joke, because I'm going to need I'm gonna need my ribs here, too, after, like, yeah, after this. Because literally at one point, he, like, fucking, like, leaps out of the crowd. He fucking throws the referee, like, out of the ring, like, goes after Rocky. And Rocky actually has to be like, well, I've got to get my gloves off and fights and then goes in swinging. And I'm like, you would both be insanely badly hurt like by this because you're both genuinely fighting at this point despite the fact that it's I don't get
0: it it doesn't make sense I know enough about wrestling to know that like there is enough choreography to know like it's like enough stuff is gonna happen do you know what I mean like like, it's talked about at least beforehand one of the moments I love in this is when we get Paulie with the chair when he like Paulie just like kind of (laughs) oh yeah so he, he smashes a chair over Thunder Lips and it's it's absolutely it's great. And then like the choke hold that Rocky gets on on Thunder Lips as well, and takes him down. And like it, it, it is, it's candy floss popcorn fun. Yeah. This moment, and it is very, it is definitely something that feels like it's padding out the runtime slightly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But film. I think it's like, just. The logic, I don't understand in terms of the fact that everyone could just turn around and go, oh, this is fine afterwards. Because literally, I, I, I would say that it's this fight that leads to Mickey eventually dying. Because essentially, he's, yeah. he's struggling with his heart through this sequence. So I would say that that's probably knocked him for six. And then when the next thing happens, that's what... I think if not for this fight, possibly he survives the film. Because, obviously, he, he, manages, <laughs> he, he manages to last longer. There's a moment where Thunderlips lifts Rocky up over his head, and Rocky is completely dazed and defeated, and he looks around, like, dazily, and literally looks to Adrian in the crowd and says, in a frightened voice, he goes like, Adrian! Like, I think, like that. like As in, he's frightened <laughs> for his life. Like, there's like... And I'm just like, wait, I don't... How did this de- what all fuck? Oh, you know, just for charity, you know? Yeah, it's a charity. Don't worry about
0: it. Let's get that Polaroid. Yeah. Let's get that Polaroid for your kids Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah
1: it- they say, oh, perhaps we'll go to dinner. Like, our wives will meet and then we'll go back to my place and swap keys. Like, I just literally <laughs> don't get it at all. Like, I think it's a bizarre sequence. It's fun and enjoyable, but I think it's fucking mental.
0: then i think the next scene of note we really need to talk about is when rocky is presented with a statue in his honor which which actually got erected in philadelphia which i find like somewhat amazing and baffling at the same time seeing as like joe frazier is from philadelphia and never, yeah,
1: got a but statue. he's not as good, he's not good as Rocky yeah. Balboa, is he?
0: Like, I mean, <laughs> he's not had the longevity of Balboa, yeah. He's, he's a, a fictional character, I just always <laughs> yeah, find like exactly. that. I, I, I mean, I'm remind...
1: can get a statue in Detroit, you
0: know, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, but Detroit <laughs> is a, a, a very a vastly different place. That uh, <laughs> I'm, like Detroit I, I, I is
1: sure a hellscape, maybe the statue, yeah.
0: <laughs> <got> <laughs> i'm sure that robocop statue has been has been pawned by someone by this time um but (laughs) yeah and i'm always reminded of the uh amazing bill burr clip where he's dying in philadelphia on stage and just kind of like has a countdown throughout his set just going like eight minutes left refuses to leave the stage and just starts like Calling out the audience members and he's like, You fucking dumb fucks. <laughs> he's like, You've got a statue of a fictional character when you've got Joe Frazier comes from this place. He's like, You dumb mick fucks. He just like goes into the crowd, and I'm always like whenever I watch the Rocky films, I'm always kind of reminded of uh of uh yeah, Bill Burr kind of digging out. The, wow, the city, Bill Burr's the, not about a cameo of Creed
1: 3, is he now? Like, <laughs> after <To> that performance. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, you, Rocky's kind of essentially, he uses this opportunity of being given the statue to basically make an announcement that he's going to step down as world champion and kind of retire. And I would say that I, I really like the way Stallone performs this because he kind not of, I would say he performs it like Rocky doesn't actually want to do this. Because I don't think yeah. he does. I don't think he actually wants to do this. I think he wants to continue. But he's doing it for his family and because he knows Adrian wants it and he loves Adrian and he'll do it. But I don't think he actually wants to do it. Um and then Clubber turns up to oh. kind of like, you know, out of the crowd. And it's obviously all the press are there of it. And this confrontation is amazing between them. So good. What, what?
0: What I love is is in in the fight between Thunderlips, we get like, I, I, sh- I shared it on Twitter recently, and I'll probably share it again when this episode comes out, but we get Clubber Lang in a, like a three-piece suit with a ruffled shirt <laughs> and a bow tie at that fight. And then you get the exact juxtaposition of that. He's in this like frilled uh, Native American-style jacket kind of like... Looking, looking like a revolutionary just kind of pushing through the crowd <laughs> to call out Rocky.
1: Shake of and heart. Then I, f-
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 this is the deafening blow that kind of, I think, gets Rocky to fight.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Club alone. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. Hey, woman. Hey, woman. Listen here. Since your a man ain't got no heart, maybe you'd like to see a real man.
0: I bet you stay up late every night dreaming you had a real man, don't you? I'll tell you what. In your pretty little self over to my apartment tonight, and I show you a real man.
2: You want you get
1: Yeah, amazing. <laughs> and literally that sequence plays so much into the racial politics of the time. Of literally, you've got this black character, this aggressive, huge, like black character coming along. And, being like, and you've got Adrian, who's depicted in this scene, being very demure. Like, when he starts saying, like, hey, Boone, like, yeah, you know, over to Adrian. Like, it cuts to her. And she's like, 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 you're holding her, like, <laughs> back Like, you it's just like, you want a real man. And it's very much playing into that idea of, uh, that was playing at the time, of that white fear of black men are here to steal your white women. go okay, there you go, like that. And that plays it totally, because that's the thing that kicks him off. It's the threat to his wife, to the mother of his child, that she, he's going to poach Agent. He's actually literally in front of him, essentially threatening to cuckold him. Like, you know, and that's the thing that makes him snap <laughs> And be really like, "Yo, why are you going? Like, yeah, going into it. And he's just, yeah, he's really just, especially as, Apollo Creed's character, who was the villain essentially in the first two films, um, you know, has often been kind of called out by some kind of black critics being quite a white-bred kind of black character. Whereas this is almost like the reversal of going, this is the most like Club Lang is like the most extreme, like black exploitation-esque kind of character that you could get. You know, he's yeah. kind of complete you can imagine. Like, Mr. T, if he'd been around the 70s starring in a black exploitation type film, like, you know, Black Dynamite Definitely. kind of, like, shaft-style like movie, and with the, you know, the trailer kind of doing the Superfly kind of lies, you know, where it comes to the ladies, they come to him, you know, all that kind of, like, stuff. <laughs> and, like, yeah, he would have been great in that and totally fits into that kind of archetype that was kind of present at the time. And, yeah, I, and also, of course, he gets another great when uh, Mickey uh tries to like um call him out and he a shovel man (laughs) which is
0: great (laughs) again what 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 i think like one of the the great things about this film is we get these like it is just this thing of like explosions of confrontation then kind of undercut or, or kind of like juxtaposed with these really great like dramatic moments and we get like they're kind of just played off like hand in hand against each other and like that that scene is then like because mickey's frightened right mickey's kind of like you could if you want to fight him you fight him alone you don't fight with me and then yeah yeah we we get that confrontation between rocky and mickey like kind of back at the house
1: amazing scene one of my favorite scenes
0: i'll I'll, yeah i'll play this clip because we've got to give some burgess meredith love
2: because you can't win rock this guy will kill you to death inside of three rounds you're crazy what else is new
1: he's just another
2: fighter no he ain't just another fighter this guy is a wrecking machine and he's hungry Hell, you ain't been hungry since you
1: won that belt. Oh, what to you about? I've had ten title defenses. That was easy. What do you mean easy? It was handpicked.
0: And, and and that's kind of the 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 heart of this film, right? Is the fact that like Rocky feel, like it, it plants a seed that Rocky's a fraud. Yeah, legit. which I think is
1: amazing. Like, there's this incredible thing of it feels really realistic in terms of and to do that, to your hero. I think it's really challenging of this thing of going all these fights that we've watched him win in that opening sequence, the eye Tire, showing his kind of rise to fame after he wins the championship. Um, like it goes like instantly like questioning all of that of like this thing of basically the people around him, because you get an impression that Adrian was potentially involved in this as well, um, of yeah. basically in a want to protect him. Out of love for him, have essentially kind of done this thing where, yeah, they've really corrupted themselves essentially. Because, like Rocky said that thing, he goes, "Well, you mean there were set ups?" And he goes, "No, they weren't set, but they were they were good fighters, but they were past their like prime, and everything like that." And so, they were essentially they're putting up against kind of subpar fighters. Um, literally they knew would be easy wins for him. And also, this is another scene where I have to pull the Dark Knight Rises comparison because not only is there... Basically, in Dark Knight Rises, Mickey is Alfred, okay? So, yeah. like, in that, whereas in this, Mickey actually goes to Club Alang's fights and watches him, in Dark Knight Rises, Michael kane's Alfred studies video CCTV footage of Bane fighting in that. And then he actually turns around, whereas in this, uh, Mickey turns around to him and says, no, he ain't. He's a wrecking ball. Like, you know, he's a killer. He's unstoppable. Can't think about Carl Lang. In the same thing, there's a scene in Dark Knight Rises where um, where Bruce Wayne is saying, what, you don't think I can win against Carl Bane? And Alfred says, looking at the video, he says, take a good look. His speed, his ferocity, his training. Kind of like, and that, and so he's so similar in terms of, like, you know, the seeds. In terms of the older mentor, father, surrogate father figure, kind of saying to his son that, like, you know, you don't want fight And, of course, in the end, he essentially... They both sort of want to... Are uh, threatened to leave their kind of sons because they can't stand by and watch them do this, you know?
0: Well, yeah, we get that, like, that scene opens with Mickey saying, like... I'm going on a permanent vacation and just like throughout it, like saying like, yeah, like you said, like he's Clubber Lang re- is the real deal. Yeah, like He is yeah. the guy that you need to be scared of. And I don't know, like it's, well, let's talk about Burgess Meredith, right? Because this is, well, somewhat his final performance in a Rocky film. Like we get a brief bit of him <laughs> in Dude, Rocky man. Five, but yeah, let's get up your uh, said about that, The better, <laughs> but yeah, what like what do you think of Burgess Meredith in this? Because this really feels like a kind of like as much as he's only in it for the first what, like forty-five minutes to fifty minutes, like. It very much feels like a piece that is about him and Rocky's relationship.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's fucking superb in it, isn't he? I mean, he's he's superb in all the first three Rocky films. Amazing (laughs) performance in all those first three. He's an incredible character, really real. I love the whole thing. He's got his hearing aid, everything. He's totally burnt out, everything. But he's still got. It's that thing about like you know he's completely past his prime, but he can still he's got the knowledge. He can still kind of like you know train Rocky um, the way he needs to be. And you know in this we get this very uh, obviously very frustrating for him is he's trying to train Rocky and Rocky's been corrupted and become complacent by his fame essentially. And we see all this kind of like he's he's totally he's lost the eye of the tiger. And, you know, in this, of course, Rocky uh, you know, has to face the death of Mickey and loses his mentor. And like I was saying, in the Dark Night Rises, of course, Alfred doesn't die. They don't have the balls to kill Alfred in Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> but he does leave. He walks, he has to walk out. He has to, because he kind of, you know, him and Bruce Wayne fall out. And so, literally, like, third into the film, he he leaves the film and doesn't come back until, like, the end. So, he still loses his mentor figure um, and that support system, like uh, Rocky does here. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, just, I think it's a great swan song for him. I think the final, his death scene, obviously, kind of fast-forwarding slightly, but his death scene is really beautifully paid and very real and, yeah, and obviously we'll get to it, Uh, but I, there's so many, like, that scene, I think it's all about that scene where he reveals that, like, you know, essentially, yeah, Rocky's career has been slightly fraudulent and, like, turns around to him and says, you got civilised, Rock, like, you know, talking about, like, him becoming (laughs) complacent and everything like that and I think, yeah, I, I, he's so he's so brilliant, and I, I, I kind of he's one of those things where I think he needed to die here. I do actually think this is the right film for him to die. Like, I kind of think you can't yeah. really do another movie with him. Um, I think his arc, I think you know the art that he has, kind of like it, it fits really well in those three films, and I think this was the right time for him to go. <laughs>
0: What I think is an amazing piece of like writing in this film and kind of like, a very clever way of parting the baton is the introduction of Apollo Creed, like, once again into the film, in the kind of commentator role. And, like, it feels very much believable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't feel like a a, a a whole thing of, like, oh, what's this character doing here? And, like... <clears throat> Do you know what I mean? He has very knowing lines, like as a commentator being like, well, my money's very much on Rocky because he like, I've been there and I know what it's like type yeah. of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. felt the pain. Well, it's really, like, isn't
1: it? That's something that genuinely would happen in boxing matches if the old champion would come along and kind of, you know, do some commentary. That happens all the time, you know.
0: Yeah, and but like the the way it comes in, like, perfectly sets up what comes next, and and obviously when it does, because obviously you have the the confrontation between Clubber Lang and Rocky in the stairwell, and that's yeah. when like Mickey takes a funny turn,
1: and that's how we know Clubber like... is pure scum and the villain of the piece. Because prior to this, although he's very angry and stuff like that. We could argue, we could almost get a bit of sympathy for Kluber prior to this, because that bit when he confronts uh, Rocky at the press conference, he actually says, uh, one of his lines is he says, they don't want a world champion like me. Like, in terms of, so that could be making like, a racial comment almost in terms of like, you know, he, to, he's black and proud. Like you say, he's almost dressed like a revolutionary figure. Like, oh, like you know, a fucking it, Black Panther or something. Like he's
0: that. a Malcolm like, yeah. X. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he, like a
0: yeah. Malcolm X yeah. type.
1: Yeah, so there you go. Like, Apollo is the Martin Luther King. Carver is the Malcolm X, right? And, like, you know, yeah. he could almost be covered as that of Revolution figure and be like, you know, you uh, as a white man, like, you don't deserve this place. Because he knows. He knows the truth. He knows that um, uh, Rocky has been coasting. And although it's that interesting dynamic, actually... Of Clubber doesn't actually know that Rocky doesn't know that he's been coasting. So from Clubber's perspective, he may be thinking that Rocky is well aware of the fact that he's been fighting subpar like characters deliberately. And might be like, You, you are deliberately this, you're a fraud. And I should be yeah. in your place. And actually, it's not right, and kind of like it shows your privilege as a white man, that you are in the place you are, and I'm not. I am the better fighter. and I. And he actually says, that like, I am, like, you know, the best fighter in the world, kind of thing. And he, it, to be fair, he sort of proves it, at the end of the day. Like, so, because he does He does train harder. When we're watching them, kind of, like, train, Rocky's complacent, whereas we cut back to Clubber, and he's training fucking insanely hard. And you, when yeah. you see that, that's when you know he's doomed. You know he's doomed, because Clubber has got the Eye of Tiger and he's putting everything into it because he wants it so, so bad. Going like, you know, whereas maybe Rocky doesn't want it as much anymore. Um, but you the thing where you go, he's a villain, is when he manhandles Mickey. An old, an old mm-hmm. man with a hearing aid. He turns around and he says, like, get out of my way, old man. And like chucks him like a fucking across a room or something like that. And you go, oh okay, he's done. After all that, after any card we might have had some sympathy for him, no, he, he is scum.
0: What I love in the like juxtaposition between their their like training styles as well is just like the the pomposity of Rocky's training style, and 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 like probably brings out one of my biggest laughs of the film is when the film gets very knowing, and there's like Rocky for some reason has got like a like a string quartet like there and they start playing gonna fly now and mickey says like like he's like shut up back there change change your tune and like it it just feels like a very knowing thing of like and it very much um ties into the whole thing of sylvester Stallone's star rising at that time do you Mm -hmm. you mean and it's like that very much speaks to like, and th- this film, like I th- yeah, like I think it's right. The whole series very much plays into the thing of a knowingness from Sylvester Stallone of where he's at in his career, yeah, and being quite open about his own insecurities. Do you know what I mean? Like, like this film is a is like the biggest thing of this fear is th- this film is Rocky having this fear. And you can imagine Sylvester Stallone at this point having this fear of like, where does my career go next? Do you know what I mean? Am I just coasting for however long on just Rocky sequels, or am I going to actually get a chance to to prove myself in something else? In like, not that, not that he. Pro- I imagine he loves the character of Rocky, but like, I imagine there's almost this feeling. Of him being scared that, like, this is his, this is him now. Do you know what I mean? At that point, this is, this is, this is where this is the only thing I do for the rest of my career.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, this film very much feels like a comment um, and kind of on the trappings of fame, the kind of handicaps of it, kind of the perils of kind of your fame rising and everything like that, and what it can do to you as a character it also feels very much like a trilogy closer for the rocky films like this feels like for me i mean mickey dies who's one of the main characters um you know the uh the rift of apollo is healed they become friends by the end essentially really if you actually look in terms of an arc this should be the last rocky film in many ways like mm-hmm. um, you know, or you, even you could go straight from this to Rocky Balboa, or straight from this to Creed. You know what I mean? In terms of like, it feels actually like the end of the story in many ways, and then Rocky Four feels like the first kind of add-on to the kind of story. Yeah. So it's like you know, you always feel like maybe it's interesting. Was he planning on closing out the franchise with this chapter? Like, were back then. Was he like this? Is this is the end? And then suddenly, really, of course, the ch- the turning point for Stallone is 1985, where he has First Blood Part Two and Rocky Four um come out, and literally that completely changes his career. And he, that's the moment he goes all of the kind of experimental projects and stuff like that that he's done before kind of go out the window, and now he's a star, and it's star vehicles from they yeah, and it's almost like that thing of um, I always think of that incredible scene in extras where uh, they're speaking um, to uh, his kind of more respected actor friend, this guy kind of speaking to him in his agent, uh, to Andy Milman, played by Ricky Gervais, and they say, like, basically, you need to make a choice do you want to be like a respected kind of actor or do you want to be famous? And he yeah. says, he pauses it, does a mass point, and he just goes famous and actually he wants that more he wants the fame the adoration the money more than being the respected kind of character actor good thing and oh, no, i kind of see that that kind of battle within sly himself you know yeah and
0: i think this film is very much that kind of that battle kind of given to us in, in yeah, in, in, yeah. In, in film form right and um yeah, which brings us on like to that scene like between him and Mickey when like Mickey's like fading away, and it breaks my heart when like Rocky like like basically lies to him and says like the fight went to the s- the, f- the third round and it was a knockout, but like he obviously like Mickey's there believing that it it was Rocky who knocked out Clubber Lang. And yeah, then, like, he's saying to him like. We we did it. Like he's like and, and Mickey. Yeah, like, some heartbreaking lines. He's like it's something to the degree of like my life. Like meant something. Like we 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 did this together and stuff like that. Like and it's it very much is that thing of like what what people will tell somebody in their their dying moments, like just to make them feel better. And it's it's f- like oh yeah. it <laughs> It gets me just, like, talking about it a bit. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, 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 it's a devastating scene.
1: It really is. Like, you know, Mickey actually says, I love you to Rocky, doesn't he? Like, as he dies and everything like that. And, like, and that you really feel by this point you, how much their relationship has developed from the first film, where at the beginning he's, like, chucking him out of his gym and stuff like that and calling him a bum. And he, he's developed so... Now they are their father and son. Like, I think, like, you know... And uh of course you get Bill Conti's score here as well. Uh obviously, by the time we get to this third film, a lot of Conti's score is kind of reusing old themes that he created for the first two films. But here, this track is an actual track called Mickey that plays over his death scene. Um, and that is, although it does kind of use some sort of uh a kind of take-on. Old themes. It is a new track, and it is really, really moving piece of music uh, to his Kind of destiny. I think he has to tell Mickey. I mean, he can't. He can't let the last thing he hears before his light goes out, like that he just got his ass fucking handed to him by Clubber. You know, and lost yeah. the title that they fought so hard for, and that he knows that Mickey didn't want him to do this fight either. Um, And of course, and I've got to say a couple of things that I find really interesting. Do we think that Rocky wins that first fight, if not for Mickey collapsing before and kind of, you know, really kind of uh, throwing him out of whack? Because I think he still loses, whether that happens or not. Yeah. And Apollo actually says as much later on, Apollo actually says, "I know you were like spun out by what happened to your car kind of trainer, but you still had lost the I tiger from that, and I think he still would have lost, maybe wouldn't have lost as badly going kind of as he does like yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. like if that hadn't happened, but I think he still loses and loses hard um and also do we think?" that the only reason I think this is more possible, the only reason Apollo wants to train Rocky is because of the disrespect that Clover shows him in that moment in the ring. Because Apollo goes in, he goes to meet Clover and goes like Get Away from me, fool! Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, you need more I speed. Like, yeah, I see you. In fact, I'll, I'll fight you as well. <laughs> you know? And, like, uh, and Apollo is clearly deeply insulted and actually goes over to Rocky and says, like, you know, knock this chump, block off, or whatever. And I'm, like, I genuinely think, because Apollo is a very egotistical kind of character, and I yeah, genuinely yeah. think that if that doesn't happen... Which gives him a personal beef with Clubber. I don't think he turns up to train Rocky. I think because even when they see him on TV and they say like to Clubber, they say, "What do you think about like Apollo training uh, Rocky?" And he's like, "Oh, I think it's a joke." Like he's a fucking has been. Like uh, Apollo's like, "Yeah, keep talking, keep talking." Like, yeah, he's so pissed off. And I reckon that's why. That's the real reason he wants to train Rocky to beat him. You
2: know what I mean? You didn't look hungry. Now, when we fought,
0: you
1: had that eye of the tiger, man, the edge. And now you've got to get it back. And the way to get it back is to go back to the beginning. You know what I mean? (laughs)
2: Maybe we could win it back together.
0: What's interesting about that scene between Apollo and Rocky is the fact that Apollo very much sets out his stall as well in the fact that like a part of it is about money, right? He's like, like this fight will sell well, and he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not shy about earning some big bucks. He's like, we can promote this, and we can promote this well. And, like, I, I I can get a bit of bread out of it and stuff
2: like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: and it promotes him. It keeps him in the life. It keeps him relevant in terms of... Because I think his celebrity is important to him as well. Apollo was never someone who was going to disappear into the background. He was always going... He's already doing, like, the So He wants to still have the limelight on him, which shows even more in Rocky Four. Where of course he's like he wants to do the fight with Drago. And when he does do it, it's a huge kind of like, you know, a uh, circus going kind of like when he yeah. does do it. Like he Living is a kind in of Living like
0: America, America. Yeah. <laughs> Living
1: in America. But um yeah, so completely and I've gotta say the actual fight where Clubber batters Apollo, not batters Apollo, batters Rocky is hard to watch. It's yeah. really devastating. Um, because he does get absolutely annihilated and he's again, another Dark Knight Rises comparison where he, when they go into that fight, it is like the Bane Batman fight because Rocky comes out of the gate fucking swinging and literally is just fucking lays a ton of punches down on Clover like straight away. Like, he actually lands, like, fucking ten hits or something like on it yeah. first before Clover comes out for him. And it's exactly the same in Dark Rise*.s where Bato is literally just punching Bane. And it's exactly the same thing, where it has no effect, where it just looks like Clover's like, that was nothing. Like, and then he comes back and fucking destroys him, you know what I mean?
0: What I think is, like, really interesting about the fights in this film is they all feel like they're played out in real time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you get that sense, like, in this. Like, it's like, you feel every punch, like, for the for the two or three rounds that that fight is. And it's, like, really, de- like, dev- yeah, like you said, it's devastating to watch because, like, Rocky is getting his ass handed to him. And it's, like, we'll, we'll we'll get to the final fight, obviously, when we get to the final fight. But, like... What's great about this franchise as a whole, and especially that like the first two films, is even a rewatch. Like, I find myself like, I don't know how this is going to play out. Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, Yeah, I, mate, I completely it.
1: get it. I, I tweeted about this in terms of I've seen this film. I think this is like my sixth or seventh time of watching it. And literally still, I was like up at the end when it was the final fight. I was like cheering on like it was a real boxing match. Like, yeah, absolutely, completely in it. And yeah, it's amazing. So we like played the clip from Apollo coming along to Rocky and being at his lowest ebb and being like, I am going to train you and we're going to get you back the eye of the tiger. And the way that he chooses to do that is take him to L.A. where he trains kind of thing, when yeah. he was young. And he takes him to his old gym, which I was like, is this so you want to be a boxer, gym from Bugsy Malone? <laughs> 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 That's how it goes. When he walks in, there's all the guys like, look at him like, so you want to be a boxer, in the corner I said, like, he's like, so going on me, let me have him, Joe. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, that was, that was really, really great. And then we're, he's g- getting back down. to me. And they have to stay, in a really shitty motel as well, with, like, alcoholic bums outside you, like, Paulie shouts at as well. I'm not quite it's sure that... why that's so needed. But, like, yeah.
0: if yeah, The thing is, if Paulie's pissed off, because, like, he's an alcoholic himself, so, like, he, like if, if, if it's keeping him awake, they've got to be bad. And, like, w- like <laughs> there's another thing I want to touch on that, like, very much, like, paints Paulie out to be the villain of this franchise is oh i his, know like, what you're gonna say he's a racist piece of shit right
1: <laughs> like yeah, yeah, when, yeah.
0: like, oh, like oh, his line is i've got a reputation and he's i don't like these people and it's like there's only one way that can be construed and that is paulie does not like black people
1: well he like, also says he, you can't train him like a colored fighter
0: yeah, and it, and he says like he's like
1: oh uh, like he, I think he calls it like
0: jungle mu- like jungle yes. music yeah. when they're like yeah. training him well, uh, and by stuff the like, way like, trying to get river
1: that they're listening to like a bit isn't it like either tiger <laughs> playing or whatever I'm yeah like, yeah oh yeah well, I don't know what you think this is Paulie it's not like rap or something what are you talking about
0: and uh, what I don't get is Paulie's holding the radio the
1: whole time as yeah, well. Yeah.
0: It's like, it's like Paul, he could change Popper. the station if he wanted yeah Paulie you know. could change the dial and, and, um, <laughs> yeah there's th- there's this moment uh, I hope this is the right button but uh, yeah this moment where uh, Paulie shows himself to be a dickhead once again
2: look at this place no class in here hey, is he always so cheerful I don't swear to you hey, hey Paulie don't get mentally irregular it's a free country no, just
1: don't get irregular all
2: right. I don't even know philosophy lesson here.
1: <laughs> well, it just takes about six years to get to know Yeah, well, me. I ain't got six years.
2: Ooh, oh, you? Come on, nice.
0: Paulie. Paulie is a regular, right? He's very much an irregular
1: <laughs> guy. I mean, as if Paulie knows anything about class <laughs> whatsoever. No, <really? laughs> like, yeah, it's just like, and like, to be honest, right, if it, we all know, if it wasn't for Rocky, he'd be down there with those alcoholic bums that he's shouting at. Where he's like, I'll squash you. Like, he's just like, mate, you're one of them. Like, you know. I mean, poor Apollo. I'm surprised Apollo didn't just knock him out at one point. I would have loved to have seen it as well. I, I,
0: I love, um, like just Apollo's determination to train him as well. Like there's, there's that moment where he's, he delivers the line. Like there is no tomorrow to him. He's just like really going in on him. Just like, like, you can tell Rocky's head is out of the game at this point, right? He's like really like as much as they're trying, he just can't. He can't get it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There's also a bit where they first go in the shitty motel that Apollo's booked for them. And by the way, I don't think Apollo's staying in that motel. No, of <laughs> he's course like, he's not. This like roach infested. They're like, oh, so Apollo, are you in the next room? It's like, no, no, I've gone back to my mansion. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, losers. Later. <laughs> and uh, Adrian says, turned round to uh, Rocky where they're in the shitty, like, motel room. She says, oh, we've been in worse places. And it literally Rocky is just silent and the camera starts zooming on him as Isle of the Tiger starts to play. And I was just like, is that like Rocky starting to get the Isle of the Tiger at the thought of leaving his TripAdvisor review? LAUGHTER it's like, it's
0: like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah what i don't get is like it's only like it's it's only been a few years since he lived in that apartment from rocky one right and that that was oh, that yeah. was that was the pits right he had a he had a window that looked out onto a brick wall
1: Do you and know he me, had like, like a was like, wall yeah. of knives or he didn't he like
0: yeah, yeah 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 he basically had a mattress like stapled up against the wall that he like would kind of punch and stuff like that' a, he 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 lived in absolute squalor um but um yeah. now he's um so let's get like what I like to do on these rocky recaps is looking at the 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 montages but before we get to that, I think there's a really important scene that needs to be talked about is the the first race that culminates in this speech that that Adrian delivers to Rocky, which is an absolute like tour de force performance from Talia Shire. Afraid, for the first time in my life I'm afraid.
2: I'm afraid too, there's nothing wrong with being afraid. There
0: is, for me there is.
2: Why you're human, aren't you?
0: Look, I don't know what I am. All I know is I'm a liar, and because of that, Mickey ain't here no more.
2: You didn't push him into anything. He was a grown man, and he did what he had to do. And you have no right to feel guilty for what happened. You don't. You were a champion, and you did what you were expected to do, and you did what I and everybody else thought you should do. And you want to tell me that those fights weren't real, that you were carried? Well, I don't believe it. It doesn't matter what I believe, because you're the one that's got to carry that fear around inside you. Afraid that everybody's going to take things away. Afraid you're going to be remembered as a coward. That you're not a man anymore. Well, none of it's true, but it doesn't matter if I tell you. It doesn't matter because you're the one that's got to settle it. Get rid of it, because when all the smoke has cleared, and everyone's through chanting your name, it's just going to be us. And you can't live like this. We can't live like this. It's going to bother you for the rest of your life. Look what it's doing to you now. Paula thinks you can do it. So do I. But you, you got to want to do it for the right reasons. Not for the guilt over Mickey. Not for the people. Not for the title. Not for money or me. But for you. Just you. Just you alone.
1: If I lose,
2: and you lose, at least you lose with no excuses, no fear, and I know you can live with
0: that. That's 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 that that's the fucking scene of this film, right? Like that kind of like it's not a confront that kind of like I don't know. Yeah, it is a confrontation, right, between Adrian and Rocky. I think like that is that is what we would have got in the first two would have been the Mickey-Rocky kind of uh, conversations they would have had. And
1: yeah, I mean, weirdly, this... she's kind of taken as much as Apollo is now his trainer. So Fisher, you go, oh, Mickey-Apollo. But actually, really, the passing the mantle of Mickey's role in many ways, is almost gets apportioned out between Apollo and Asian in terms of the actual training Apollo now takes on. But in terms of the philosophy of Mickey, the kind of emotional support that Mickey gave him and kind of, you know, brought him back up. And those kind of scenes that we had in terms of where in Rocky and Rocky 2, where Mickey comes to see Rocky late at night and kind of has a confrontation with him. And then they had come back together. That is this scene for those for this this film. And literally Asian is kind of taking on that role. And it's very much her coming out of her shell. She's now much... You can never imagine the Asian of first film doing this, delivering this speech. But she's come so far, and you've seen that natural development in each film of her just getting become more and more confident as a woman and as a partner to Rocky. And it would have been very easy to write the film as if, kind was always kind of subservient to Rocky, just became like a kind of, you know, trophy wife, but that's not what happens at all. He, she matures and grows more confident and is completely his match and shows why like he loves her so much. And that's Stallone's writing at the end of the day. These, yeah. these, are, these scripts are all by Stallone. And uh, that's great writing and great character development. And Talia Shire, you know, she's the connection here and she is, really she was allowed to really grow that role through the five films and especially in the first three i think
0: i think like there's a great line that 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 comes after that clip when rocky says like how did you become so tough and she's like well i live with a fighter and like that that kind of solidifies like the the beautiful confidence that They've developed in each other. Do you know what I mean? Like his kind of career as a boxer, like you get it in the first two. It's 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 like it's for her. Do you know what I mean? He's Mm -hmm. trying to prove to her that he is something. And even in this, it's like, do you know what I mean? It's it's now the the tables have turned that she's the one who's like saying like, "I love you." We've got everything that like everything we've got is it's replaceable we've got houses we've got cars or whatever that's all replaceable but like you need to get over yourself and if this is what you need to do you need to do it and like she's putting yeah. her own fears about his safety to one side to so to kind of like get him to do what he needs to do whether it's for the like get rid of the kind of thing that you're doing it for mickey like yeah. just win this and like says like yeah, if you lose you lose, but if it's it's at least like it's on your terms, do you know what I mean like and you've tried yeah. your hardest yeah, yeah. and it's 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 beautiful. And then like that is the kind of kick up the arse that leads to Well yeah, one of my favourite things in Rocky films and and Rocky Four probably does it to the max, but we 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 get a beautiful montage of Rocky getting yeah. ready for the final fight and I like to go through the things that we get. So what I've got on my list here, and feel free to, to tell me if I've missed anything, but we get swimming, sexy speed bag, dancing around the ring. Obviously, Rocky has found his uh, rhythm that he couldn't get before. Punches uh, Paulie, which is always glad to see. Uh, skipping, <laughs> racing with Apollo on the beach. Uh, Paulie in the pool, which you mentioned earlier. That was another yeah, highlight for stuff. me. Seeing Paul. And um, oh, the 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 sexy like crop top that Sly wears yeah, when he's doing his speed bag and stuff. Yeah, like his one is ultra. Like we thought Carl Weathers' one as Apollo Creed was like, I don't know, a bit much. Rocky really pulls it out of the bag, being like, you thought that was <laughs> you thought that was homoerotic. <laughs> yeah. Let me take it to the next level. Which brings me on to a point of: is this? the most homoerotic Rocky film in your eyes, Liam?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, 100%. I thought you were going to say most homoerotic film in history. Like, uh, you know, in terms of that, the moment where, you know, famously, like, one of the most gifable moments in this where Rocky and Apollo jump about larking in the sea. I mean, it's not really topped until the end of uh, Return of the King, is it? Where they all jump on the bed like uh with uh Frodo. yeah he, he, like that's that was basically peter jackson going i've got a to top the apollo and uh rocky in the in the scene uh <laughs> moment um, but by adding more hobbits going like you know literally that's kind of what it is and uh yeah i, I would say definitely i would say it really shows The, you know, Apollo and Rocky have come full circle from enemies to kind of, you know, potentially um, lovers uh, (laughs) by the time we get to the end of this. And uh, also, this is Rocky running on the beach, which he fails to do uh, multiple times at first, is his version of um, Bruce Wayne trying to climb out of the prison. And Dotto rises, which he does three times and then does, but Bruce Wayne does not bounce about with Tom Conti in the sand when he gets off to <laughs> of the uh, thing. That doesn't happen. probably because Tom Tom would break his hip if that happened. But this is basically that cover kind of where he, he has to do he tries to do so multiple times and then he does finally manage to beat Apollo of running on the sand. And we can't kind of both get uh Sly and Carl Weather's faces in slow motion as they're running, kind of gurning away and uh, <laughs> drenched in
0: sweat D- like yes, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the thing this is like this is two steps removed from like a frankie goes to hollywood video germany you know I yeah, just yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. the kind of like everyone's like oiled up to the max like there's crop tops galore it's
1: yeah it's so it's like... the top gun top gun volleyball scene isn't it kind of thing and it's, that yeah. it's literally a couple of years before that as well and uh, that's it's kind of that very uh, a very eighties was a Homer Rock time for kind of uh, mass entertainment, I guy of feel. And uh, yeah, this is very much a part of that. But it's a it's a great, great montage. And the last "Gonna Fly Now" montage until uh, Rocky Balboa, I think, because there's not yeah. there's in Rocky Four, it's training montage score by Vince DeCola and Hearts on Fire. And in Rocky 5, I don't think we get a gonna fly now montage, because obviously he's just training Tommy Gunn, and then at the end, he has a fight out of nowhere in the street. So, whereas in Rocky Balboa, they do the classic training montage with new Bill Conti with like Barty sacks kind of added on to it, kind of thing as well. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like this is a great. Kind of uh, gonna fly now. Montage is awesome. See him get back on it, and that's when you know that's when you know he's back, he's back, yeah. He's got he's the Iron tiger again, and he's gonna take down uh, Clubber.
0: So, let's talk about this final fight before we start to wrap things up. So, what, um, what, what, what do you make of this final fight? Obviously, it's like there doesn't seem to be so much of a strategy. Obviously, like Rocky, 2, we have the whole thing of like he's gonna go like regular and then switch to Southpaw halfway through the fight. This this one feels like much of a surprise to Apollo Creed and the kind of guys in the corner as much as it is to the audience that this thing of like he's gonna do the Well I think it's aped in The Simpsons where it's like I'm just gonna take the punches and then in round three, I'm going to just fucking, like, go hell-bent for leather and knock this motherfucker out, right?
1: Yeah, well, my prediction for this final fight, Petros, is pay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a great final fight. Again, again, got to say, again, the Dark Knight Rises parallel, literally, when they come face-to-face in the ring, Rocky and Clover, they have an exchange of Card kind of two lines where um, Clubber looks at him and goes, I'm gonna bust you up. And uh, Rocky goes, go for it. And that's very similar to when uh, there's the rematch between Bane and Batman at the end of Dark Knight Rises and literally Bane sees him and goes, so you came back to die with your city, Batman? And he turns around and goes, no, I came back to stop you. And there's a very kind of similar, not only exchange, but the fact that the bad guy gets the better line, the good guy. (laughs) Like, the good guy can't really think about it, but he's just like, go for it. Like, uh, you know, it's like, whereas actually, Clover has the uh, better line. And also, you're totally right about The Simpsons. Because, obviously, in the, that episode of The Simpsons, you were talking about, which I think is called The Homer They Fall, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, where he becomes a kind of Rocky-style fighter and it's just that he can take loads of hits. The um, boxer that he fights in that episode, kind of thing, at one point, the, um, the press actually say, do you hate Homer Simpson? The way they say, do you hate Rocky Balboa? To clubber. And in The Simpsons, the guy says, no, I don't hate Homer Simpson, but I will make a widow of his wife and orphans of his children. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, it's very similar to Carver Lang's response here. But you're right in terms of the strategy is really interesting because we've just had all this stuff where Apollo's been training Rocky all the way through. And he kind of seems to throw whatever Apollo has taught him out of the fucking window. And use his own strategy, which is basically to kind of wear Clubber out. It's kind of Muhammad Ali kind of strategy. uh, Where he's just going to basically kind of wear him out. And then also kind of push himself into the place that he needs to come back and fight. Because there's that whole thing where Apollo says, he's getting killed. And Paulie, who knows Rocky, goes, no, he isn't getting killed. He's getting mad. Like, yeah, and literally... It's that thing of, that's what he has to do. And he's actually kind of uh, deliberately goading. He's like, come on, you ain't, so, you ain't so bad. But yeah, he says, like, make him come after him. And like, at first I was like, oh. So he's just basically ignored everything Apollo's taught him. But actually <laughs> that's not true. What happens is, at first, it's like Apollo's like, what are you doing? But then he uses his own strategy to get him to the place he needs to be. But when he actually starts fighting back, he is clearly now using Apollo's methods and skills that he's taught him. Because Apollo actually starts shadow boxing with him as he's kind of literally going in for the kill. And taking out cover, and you can see he's fighting in a new way, everything uh, that. And clearly, it's that he's used his own kind of like uh, Rocky kind way to get there. But actually, when he gets in, he's now got new skills that he's been taught by Apollo uh, to take him down. So it's a fucking great fight, man. You have got Bill Conti's Conquest playing in the background, which they're using Rocky Two as well. It's fucking awesome.
0: It's 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 dynamic fighting, right? And it's like dynamic filmmaking as well, because like. You feel like you're watching an actual fight, like you don't, and that's the thing. Like, like I said earlier, it feels like it's all in real time, and like you f- just feel every punch, and it like it's that thing, and and it's the magic of like filmmaking in the fact that you, you get lost in it, and you like 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 yourself. Like I'm I'm up on my feet, like come on, Do you know what I mean really getting into it, and I just like I just. I just love that about these films that it kind of like draws you in so much that you get to a point yeah, where you're
1: it's, like it's fucking phenomenal. It's amazing. <laughs> Incredible fight. It's fucking amazing. Like I would say, in many ways, it's probably <laughs> I think I think the fight in Rocky Four is kind of technically probably the best fight in terms of like actually how it looks and stuff. I think that I think the fight in Rocky Four is so Insanely kind of like high budget by that point. It looks incredible, like the final, and it's really brutal as well. Uh, the final fight in Rocky Four, But at the same time, I think, I think, like, emotionally, this has like the combination of not only does it look great, but you're invested so, so much at this point because it feels like the culmination of everything from the first three yeah. films. And so I think this fight is just phenomenal, man.
0: What I love about when uh, Rocky finally knocks out Clubber Lang is the first person we see leap into the ring is Duke, played by Tony Burton, and it just like fills my heart with joy because I think that like he is for me like I just love Tony Burton in these films like he like the moments he gets are just like brilliant and that that there's obviously like. Uh, that, yeah, there's a, there's a screenshot. I think it's from Rocky Four, like when he's kind of like shouting at Apollo when he's in his corner. That, like it's kind of like him just looking like devastated. But like I think like just seeing Tony Burton leap into the ring, like being in Rocky's corner. I was like, yes, fucking come on!
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's from this film, isn't it? Where he has, although the throw the damn towel moment is Rocky Four, but. I think it's in it's in this film where he has a moment where it cuts to him in like slow mo, going no from yeah. the sidelines where he thinks Clover is beating Rocky. Like, so he's proper invested. I like that how he just he just flips. He immediately is like, well, Apollo, if you're training him, I'm with him. And then he in Rocky Four, they he essentially kind of again it kind of flips again where you go from Mickey. To Apollo to Duke becomes his trainer, and Duke carries yeah. on being his trainer Rocky of Balboa as well, uh, where they build hurting bombs together. And now, of course, Avon Barksdale from The Wire plays Duke Jr. in the Creed films, training amazing. Adonis, which is amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um so this is um up until this point is a, is is a rare in the Rocky uh, films because obviously this is the first film to not end with the final fight right it doesn't end with the kind of like the freeze frame yeah with the freeze frame well it ends with a freeze frame but they still have uh... it
1: this is amazing because it's the thing is (laughs) they still have the freeze frame ending that they had in the first two films so it could you think it's going to end there you think it's going to end there because Agent actually gets back in the ring which is nice after she couldn't get in the ring, the second film, she gets back in the ring with this one and they have a nice little moment together. And then they all juke together and they have the freeze-fame ending. And did you not think that then you go to the final scene between uh, Apollo and Rocky, do you not think if this film was released now, mid credit scene,
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Literally,
1: you Ooh. get the freeze frame ending. Everyone goes, that's the classic ending of Rocky film. They all end with the freeze frame as he's won after the final bell by Bill Conti plays. Go to credits, literally get to mid goes boom, everyone's walking out. So, holy shit, Rocky and Apollo walking back into the ring. Like, that's how it would be now.
0: I I love how this final scene is seeded early on in the film when that first encounter between Rocky and Apollo, where he's like, "I got one favor for you," like at the end of this, and then and then obviously that I think there's the the exchange between them where it's like, "Do we really have to do this?" Like 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 he's like, "Well, I said there was that one favor that I had for you," and I guess it probably is like a thing that boxers would wear, but. There is something again really plays into the homoeroticism of the like this the 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 nappies they're wearing and this like almost like boiling sexual tension between them in that final scene as well. And they're both kind of like it feels like they're skirting, obviously they're skirting around this friendly boxing match, but it just it feels like they're kind of like Oh, scary! Well, I swear round, they can't like, comment
1: on how good-looking each other are at one point or something. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah know, I think I think that happens, and it is, yeah, very much. But what I like is it really that scene really shows how far they've come as friends, and literally yeah. because you kind of have to go. The, the thing is, you sort of feel like you have to do some legwork because by the time it gets Rocky Four, which in the film, oh, this might be something they changed for the director's cut, but in the movie. You're meant to believe that Rocky IV starts literally the night of this, because (laughs) at the beginning of Rocky IV, he turns up, he's got a black eye, and he's got that from the fight with Apollo. He says, "Right." So you're meant to believe that's like the day after, and by the time Apollo dies, he he refers to like Apollo as like his best friend, and Paulie's like what like yeah like uh, he's that thing going. (laughs) It's, it's a little hard to come kind of by that it took that they became that kind of close that fast. But actually, this final scene, I think, does show that they have a real bond between each other. And, you know, when and what at the final fucking freeze phase, they you don't see the fight, they literally go, you get the ding, ding, and then they go around each other, they're kind of like dancing about each other, and then finally, voom. Like they go to hit each other, instantly either tiger comes in. They turn into a painting. So, a I mean, sly it, painting, right? Perfect ending. Is it? Yeah, I think it, it's it is. A, I think it's a, a Stallone original. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, we get a couple of like. St- Look, the thing is, like, obviously, it's perfect talking about Sylvester Stallone in regards to the Coppola family because he is a man who loves a bit of like nepotism and kind of like showing off his own talents as well like this film has a couple of i think stallone original paintings and obviously we get uh is this the fir- well is this is the first time that frank stallone turns up on the soundtrack at least right with pushing and like a, 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 well, he's a another on number
1: from the first film because he's one of the singers isn't yeah, he? A, one of yeah, the, yeah yeah but like take it back do 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 take it back. Oh, you guys get better every week. Like, uh, yeah, he's one of those guys.
0: But like this is the first time he's actually got like, do you know what I mean? He's he's not just got like a kind solo of, artist. On, yeah, he's a solo artist, he's he, he's getting royalties off of the soundtrack for this film. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. like and of course the, yeah. this is
1: the year before his biggest hit, which is uh, far from over from the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack.
0: Oh, we'll get onto we'll on that uh, very shortly. Uh, um, so, um, yeah, what, any final words on Rocky free for you, Liam, before we get into some other little bits and pieces and wrap this thing up?
1: I mean, basically it's completely fucking awesome. It's the highest of high fours, like four-star kind of like moves. It's not quite up there with the first two. I think just because it's that transition into the kind of sillier – uh, kind of more heightened area of the franchise, but I still think it's fucking awesome. Uh, I still think it treads that line far better than, like, Rocky Four does. I know Rocky Four is a fan favourite, and I do love it as well, but I think this is a far better film for me. Like, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's fucking amazing.
0: So where does this rank? in? What is your ranking of the Rocky films?
1: Well... But funnily enough, um, my spotlight co-host Matt Brothers kind of pointed out this weird uh, kind of anomaly with the Rocky movies of if you're a Rocky fan, you basically love all the Rocky films to one degree or another. So actually, weirdly, this is actually quite low down in my ranking. Like if I include, because I do include the Creed films. I'm not one of those people who goes like, oh, I'm not including the Creed films because, like, uh, you know, Rocky's not the main character. I'm like, no, it's part of the Rocky kind of story. I include the Creed film. And I thought Creed 2 was about as perfect an end to his character as you could get, so I do include them. So there's eight movies in the Rocky franchise as far as I'm concerned, right? Numero uno is Rocky. There's no denying <laughs> that. Everyone knows that's, that's number one, right? Number two for me is Rocky Balboa. Mm -hmm. I think Roy Balboa is incredible. And I think for me, kind of one of the reasons Rocky Balboa is so incredible is you pretty much could go from Rocky to Rocky Balboa without having to see any of the ones in between. And kind of like it is, and it's the one that's closest in tone to the first film. It's the Mm -hmm. one where they really return to gritty, like kitchen sink drama for the most part. Apart from kind of like the virtual reality kind of like uh (laughs) predictive fight thing which to be fair i think is something they would and i think they have kind of done in real life now um you know i think it's a really great follow-up to that film and such a great comeback for sly number three creed which i think is just an incredible legacy call like reboot whatever you want to call it um, and again, carries on very much the vibe they established in Rocky Balboa of the kind of more serious, gritty kind of thing. Again, yeah, fantastic. Uh, then Creed 2 at number 4, which I've, I I love Creed 2. I think some people are slightly not as um, loving Creed 2, but I think it's incredible. It's like, again, for me, kind of Creed 2 um, kind of does for. Heightens Rocky Four in many ways, like in terms because it kind of gives it real gravity and weight because it's a more serious, uh, grittier film dealing with the aftermath of that movie. So it kind of literally elevates that film in a way. Uh, Five Rocky Two, I think it is an amazing sequel. uh, Incredible. Um, We're already starting to see some of the sillier aspects kind of come in, but still, it's and also it's. It's, in a way, Rocky 2's got an easy job because essentially you just need to go, he didn't win in the first one, he wins in this one. And by the end, yeah. you want it so fucking bad that when it comes, it's such delayed gratification. It's fucking incredible. And then six is where I put Rocky 3. So it's six out of eight. And in, in most of you go, oh, so that's quite low. But I'm like, but I still think it's an amazing film. I absolutely love it. So that just shows how much I fucking love the movies. Rocky Five is at the bottom, obviously. Um, <laughs> and that's the, oh, Rocky Five is the only Rocky film i go isn't a good film. But yeah. I still don't hate it at all. There's still lots of things in Rocky Five I do like. I do think there's still good stuff in it, everything like that. So, I basically like all the Rocky movies. They're all great to one extent or another. So, Six is no kind of like, you know, it's not talking down to this movie. It's fucking awesome.
0: Well, well, there's a thing that, like, obviously they work as much as you said, you can have like these big jumps. You can either watch Rocky 1 to 3 and then Balboa and then the Creed films, or you could watch. Rocky straight into Balboa and then, like, taking the Creed films if you wanted to. But they really do work as this whole entire piece, almost like a kind of, like, like this series. And for, for for my money, like, from what I know, like, the first kind of major film franchise, really? Do you know what I mean? Like, kind of multi-sequel, like a big... Like, do you know what I mean? Like, kind of, like, I think at least to, on the well, scale they were.
1: Yeah, in a weird way. Yeah, sort of modern film franchise way. Because, obviously, there are other films before that that have multiple entries in the franchise. Yeah. But I think, certainly, in, like, a modern sequel way, it's one of the first. Because, obviously, you've got, you've got Jaws which first one's 1975, and then they, they've they got more pages. But I think this one, I think, is, yeah, ahead of its time because it's one big story that's all kind yeah. of like feeding into the next one. And like you say, it's like that's still being debated, things like Fast and the Furious and stuff like that. Like that actually, in terms of the way it does sequels and crafts them and each one adds on to the next one in terms of story is actually really ahead of its time, because in those days, sequels were more like you do the first one and then the second one will usually be like disconnected slightly and the first yeah, one the sh- even more disconnected, whereas this is just one big story, all the same stars. This is, you know, this is the MCU of its day, you know?
0: Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, that's, I, I couldn't put it better myself. So one of the things I like to do on this podcast, obviously, is looking at any connections that are in this film with uh, the Coppola family. So anyone who worked on this film who's worked with the Coppola family elsewhere, did you manage to find any connections for us, Liam?
1: Okay, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I did this right because I took it in a sort of six degrees kind of way. Um, but hey, I we, went...
0: We, we like those.
1: Okay, so I went. Stallone worked with Robert De Niro on Grudge Match who starred yep. in Godfather Part 2, directed by Francis Paul Coppola.
0: Perfect. Uh, I'll throw out... Well, I, I've probably gone through most of these with the first two films, but here's one I love. is obviously Sylvester Stallone directed Staying Alive, which is a sequel to Saturday Night Fever, which features music from David Shire, who was Talia Shire's uh, husband at the time, and also has a rocky poster um in yes. Saturday Night Fever yes. Yes. which was he meant does, to yeah. be directed by John G. Avildsen as well so I love that kind of like uh oh. like kind of kismet thing of uh they almost and I always say they, they they almost feel like they're in the weirdly like the same universe almost do you know what I mean or like at least
1: I agree yeah definitely
0: or, or yeah, Rocky is the type of film. Well, yeah, is the type of film that Tony Monero would have watched. Like, yeah, I night. think you're you know right. I mean? Saturday
1: Night Fever, the first Saturday Night Fever, totally feels cut from the same kind of seventies, gritty kitchen sink cloth as the first Rocky,
0: and, and and both suffer from that thing of having a public perception. Yeah. doesn't equate with what the actual film is. like. Whereas Rocky is like people think it's just gung-ho America, do you know what I mean? Like kind of fight in film. And uh, Saturday Night Fever is just, hey, it's disco dancing. And mm. neither of those films are that. They are what you said, they're kitchen sink dramas, really gritty slices yeah. of life of what it is like to live in either Philadelphia or New York at the time.
1: Um, any other Fever. Saturday a Fever is probably down to the PG version because yeah, yeah, there yeah. was a yeah, it's an 18 rated film, but there was a PG version cut. released yeah. with all of the kind of swears and like all of the darker content like cut out, so people could just hear the B G songs basically. And I think maybe that's why people have a different view of it. And then when they see like the 18 rated like cut that has got like fucking horrible rape in it, and stuff like all kinds of crazy stuff, like you know you go oh shit, this is not the film I thought it was,
0: yeah, a film that has been talked about on this podcast and kind of that 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 aspect of it has been kind of dragged dra- dragged out and kind of talked about very much so um, Yeah, this hasn't podcast as well. amazing. that's
1: that stuff in it
0: no we we've we've had personal discussions about our our, our feelings on that film um. Here's a connection I love. Is Bill Conti composed music for the Godfather game that came out on PS2? Uh, Ah. Because uh, (laughs) I think, obviously, uh, Nino Rota had passed away and possibly um, uh, Carmine Coppola didn't fancy scoring a video game.
1: Yeah, oh, I mean, that's bizarre. Oh, I can't imagine this. I mean, literally, yeah, Conte must have been hard up at that period. I can only imagine.
0: And another connection: Bill Butler, the DOP, also was the DOP on um, the Rain People, a Francis Ford Coppola film, and The Conversation. So this shares the cool. DOP with the master himself. Any other connections from yourself, Liam?
1: Uh, no, I just got that one. There, there will be others, but yeah, that's... that's, that's yeah, the there, Yeah, there, there, there,
0: there's loads, there's loads. Um, so, obviously, the Coppola family love their wine, Liam. What would be your perfect wine pairing for this film?
1: So, for Rocky III, which came out in 1982, I've picked a 1982 vintage Barolo, okay? It's an Italian red, so that mm-hmm. is for... The Italian Stallion, Rocky himself, and red for his kind of, like, he's got kind of, uh, um, I think, like, blue and red shorts or whatever. Um, So, and also the reviews of this, not only do they say it's an excellent year for Italian reds, but also they call it the king of wines. And they also say, don't underestimate it, just like Rocky, the underdog himself. And say it's a powerful wine, but remarkably subtle, just like the quiet, humble, but strong as an ox, rocky himself. so there you go
0: well, that is amazing that is probably the best answer I've had on this podcast <laughs> um for for that question so um, let's find out how much you're paying for this wine is it a is 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 it a bottom shelf middle shelf or top shelf wine a k a where does this film rank for you?
1: Well, I was looking uh, for how much a, a, this kind of bottle of wine would set me back. And you're looking at about 250 quid for for a bottle of this class, kind of like wine, 250 quid. Now, I would say in my head, I go immediately. Well, to me, that's top shelf because I'm not shelling out 250 quid for a bottle of wine anytime soon. But I think in a kind of wine connoisseurs kind of like thing, that would be middle shelf. And I yep. kind of think, uh, I kind of think, you know, you know what? I kind of think Rocky, Rocky 3 will happily sit on a middle shelf quite well.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Um, now we get on to the questions that I'm always glad I'm asking instead of answering. Um, which are the first one is which Coppola family member would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the filmographies of the entire rest of the family.
1: Well, this was a really interesting one for me because when I first read this, I went, "What a stupid question, Petros! Obviously, you'll keep him. Everyone's going to keep Francis Ford." Like, because he directed The Fucking Godfather, which is one of the best films ever made. Like, he directed Godfather Part Two, Apocalypse Now, The Conversation. Like, you know, this is a master filmmaker. Probably the guy who had the best output in the 70s in cinema. Like, you know, it, 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 a legend of filmmaking. However, when I actually started thinking about it, thinking about, well, by doing this, I delete the filmographies of all the other coplers. I realized that by doing it, if I picked Francis Ford, i get rid of the first five Rocky films. They're gone, mm-hmm. essentially. So, essentially, the Rocky franchise starts with Rocky Balboa, which is going to be very odd. <laughs> um, and I was like, you know what? As much as I, literally The Godfather, I'd put it in my top five films of all time. I think it's a perfect movie, right? I think it is... A, and by the way, Rocky, the first Rocky, is in my top 20 films of all time. But I do think The Godfather is a better film, right? Yeah. Um, and, like, so, and Godfather Part Two would also be in my top 20 of all time because, obviously, they're both incredible, uh, the first two Godfathers. And I can see a conversation in Pockups now, like, five-star movies. But, if I'm honest... Do they have the emotional connection that I have with Rocky? No, they don't. So if it's a case of getting rid of the Rocky films, I can't do it. So I'm going to have to pick Talia Shire and delete the rest of the Coplas so I can keep the first five Rocky films because my emotional connection to them is too strong.
0: You've kind of like done a loophole there as well because you somewhat keep the Godfather film. Oh,
1: I get not keep Godfather part one and two. Yeah. Oh, my and God, because yeah, she's fucking in them. Oh, my God. Literally, that's amazing. So, yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> it's, it's Talia all the way. It's fucking and another, literally, and, and there you go, another Dark Knight Rises collection. Fucking Talia Al Ghul. <laughs> okay, there you go, Talia Shire. Go. I'm keeping them. She, this is this is her reveal at the end where she's like it was me all was along also it was godfather me- part one and two as she stabs me in the side like yeah literally tarnish all the fucking way the rocky franchise the godfather franchise done it's talia yeah. she's the answer
0: there, there you go and um i i kind of want to before we get onto to the final three questions i really want to play into your uh Batman, uh, Dark Knight Rises theory in the fact that uh, Burgess Meredith uh, famously played of the course, penguin, penguin. In yeah, yeah, so so it all all roads lead to the Dark Knight Rises, and uh, all I, roads I leads that, to, but...
1: lead to to the Dark Knight. I mean, Nolan will never admit, it. will never admit. Of course it, he won't. We all know, Chris. We all know that literally Dark Knight is your Rocky Fruit. We all know. <laughs>
0: It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect. I, 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 I'm going to go back and watch the first three Rocky films and the Dark Knight trilogy and see if they kind of <laughs> they, they, they they match up. Um, Marry perfect. Up. So, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, based on this film alone, Liam, are the Coppolas the greatest film family of all time?
1: I, I mean, I've got to be honest with you, Petros. I've been mean to ask you about this because obviously I've been listening to the podcast. I genuinely don't really understand this question. (laughs) Like, literally, like, what do you mean based on this film? So, if I'm just judging the entire Coppola family on this movie, are they the greatest film family of all time? That's what you're saying.
0: Yeah. So, does this film make a strong enough case that Talia Shire's efforts in this film and like this film existing? like really plays into the fact that they are one of the greatest film fa- that they are the greatest film family of all time.
1: Have you got any other film families that you can present me with now that for comparison because I struggle to think of great film families like the Coplers. Uh
0: the Houstons, uh the Arquettes,
1: Oh yeah, uh, the Coopers,
0: uh the Barrymores, I think to some degree
1: Michael Barrymore a I great mean, time yeah right that, that fuck all this yeah they are the greatest Rocky free makes them the greatest film family of all time I'm saying it so none of them have come up with enough at the end of the day sorry Maltese Vulcan that's it it's, it's Rocky <laughs> 3 all the way
0: and um, what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation, Liam, the most important question on this podcast, possibly,
1: buy stock in Disney Plus.
0: <laughs> amazing, amazing! That's uh, this is yeah, the the, the this feels like a, this uh, r- theme of. The the Disney bashing is 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 gonna run for a long time on this podcast. And I'm here for it. I'm I'm all the way here for it because uh fuck Disney. Uh so um, Well that was
1: think- that was is- thinking that was thinking ahead. That was him trying to give her a little stock tip because then she would have never had to have sued. Because if she owns major stock in Disney Plus at the end of turns around when Black Widow, that premier access money all coming back to Scarjack.
0: Oh. Yes, please. Um, So, uh, Liam, before I let you go, where can people keep up to date with yourself and Spotlight? And yeah, where can they listen to it? Where can they keep up to date with everything that you guys are doing over there?
1: Oh, yeah. So I host a podcast called Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast hosted from a non Trekkie perspective, where we cover all aspects of the Star Trek universe. We kind of do a little bit of a Coppler, uh Connections vibe in many ways, because we do Spotlight the Movies, um, which is the section of our podcast where we look at a film featuring a member of Star Trek alumni, either in front or behind the camera. And a film, funny enough, that only shows are non Trekkie credentials. All too well a film that we've done recently. Because uh, we covered a film called Inside Moves. Directed by the uh, late Richard Donner. Who sadly passed away earlier this year. We actually were lucky enough to interview Dick Donner. Uh, director of the Lethal Weapon films. The Goonies. The Omen. Scrooged. Uh, on the podcast. Fantastic interview we did with him. Which we re-released uh, when he passed away in tribute. Uh, but we also decided to watch Inside Moves as... It was the film that he considered had been unfairly forgotten of his movies, (laughs) and wanted more people to see. Uh, And so we watched that for the podcast and released an episode of it. Episode I'm really proud of. Uh, I think it's a really, really good episode. It features some of our excerpts of our interview with Dick within the episode. And the reason I'm mentioning it here is I actually pointed out that I thought Inside Moves had real Rocky vibes. Um, as a movie like the first Rocky is, is very and the main character played by John Savage who's in The Deer Hunter um, it literally it is very a very Rocky-like in character and it's totally got that 70s gritty kitchen sink drama kind of feel and yeah I, I think it's it's got real, if, it, if you like Rocky and it's a sports movie as well um, you'll really like Inside Moves so check out that episode
0: Amazing, amazing. Well, Liam, it's been amazing you having on the podcast once again. And thank you so much for coming and making some Coppola connections with me.
1: It's been an absolute blast, mate. I'll uh, see you soon.
0: Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Liam uh, for coming and joining me for this long, winding chat and really treating us to that absolute fan theory that The Dark Knight Rises is just a modern-day remake of Rocky III. But before we go any further, you may have picked up on a line I said just moments ago when I kind of said goodbye to Liam it was these words right here it's been amazing you having on the podcast what the actual fuck am I saying because they do not sound like human words they just sound like the gibberish and gobbledygook of a madman who has uh, rotted his mind watching every single Nicolas Cage film and now deciding to watch every film by the extended Coppola family like that is a natural thing to do Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode or you feel like we missed anything or you want to suggest anything in the in the future. If there's a film you really, 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 really want me to talk about that hasn't been talked about online or anything like that. Or you want to follow me online to, to get some hints and t- hints of, well, t- just kind of, yeah, little 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 tidbits of what may be coming up in the near future. A lot of the time I just go, hey, I've just bought this DVD or Blu-ray because I'm going to be talking about it in the next few weeks. So, uh, yeah. Uh, all the socials that's uh instagram twitter facebook and letterboxd are all at caged in pod or if you'd like to send something long form if you'd really like to send me something and talk about how you really appreciate this podcast or, or anything i'm doing i had a conversation recently all about the fact how i don't check check stats i don't check stats because uh, for my own mental health I feel like it's it's really crazy that like I, I would just lose my mind checking them constantly and that's no good for no one and I, I guess that would put pressure on me to, to feel like I'm always doing badly at the podcast because nobody's listening or loads of people are listening and it's like, why are they listening? I am terrible. But we did talk about the fact that it's amazing when people do reach out and maybe it's, I'm asking you to feed into my ego or boost my uh, own self-esteem and self-worth but yeah any kind words like they really do go a long way and i always think like this podcast what i love about it is um i made it with the intention that nobody would listen and anything above the line of zero is an absolute bonus for me so if this is a major day if this is something you look forward to during the week yeah let me know as for next week on the podcast, you could hear my interview with the amazing uh, journalist and author of fantastic books that have covered The Coens, Tarantino, Ridley Scott, Alien, Guillermo del Toro. But most importantly, for this podcast has just released a book called The Coppolas, A Movie Dynasty. Of course, it is the one, the only, Ian Nathan will be joining me next week for an amazing chat we had all about his book and kind of delve into whether it's the, br- uh, the yeah the movie Brats or the Coppola family at large. So do be sure to tune in for that one next week. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can support it on Patreon or Kofi. Uh, so that's ko-fi.com forward slash pod and patreon.com forward slash pod where you can either buy me a cup of coffee or an ongoing cup of coffee every month to support this podcast. Or you can head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Leave a rating and review. Five stars is always amazing and much appreciated. So, as always, guys, I have been Petros Patsillibus, your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. So remember, keep it caged in, and I'll catch you next time.
2: It's family.